Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Quit seriously attacking her for no reason. You're being a dick to know. I was over here. You just came up to her and started yelling at her and attacking you for no reason. No. That, no, absolutely not. That is not your right. That is not your right. You need... No, it's not. You need to leave. This is her house. Go fuck off. No, this is her house. You need to leave her alone. This is leaving her... No. Yeah, good. Bye. You need to put your dog on a leash, honey. No, you need to put your dog on a leash, honey, please. No, no, it, no. I just don't want the dogs to get hurt, honestly. I don't want the dogs to fight or anything. No, honestly. I really don't. I'm just... No, I'm not worried about... I just don't want them to get in a fight. I'm just saying... No, because he's... I'm all the way a block away, and he is screaming at her for no goddamn reason. Oh, my God, she's... Literally, no, are you kidding me? She's actually flying a flag. Listen, quick, quick. You're no, don't, okay, please. Four days ago, I came out and it was out at two o'clock in the morning. Okay, and I asked her to put it away. How is that your business? How is it your business? How is it your Good, please, please see what the police officers have to say about her. An American. Welcome back. Strangers ripping a teen's Make America Great hat off his head, throwing it into a Seattle street. Yes, I know what it says. Don't take my hat. That's my property, dude. Come on. That's really, that's really necessary. I didn't do anything to you. When 17-year-old Ethan has picked up his hat, he noticed it was covered in spit. His parents say they're proud of their son for handling the situation with... And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 25th of July, year of our Lord, 2018. And that's more Americans being assaulted, yelled at, screamed at by other Americans who think they have the right to tell people how to vote. First one was man wearing a fuck Trump t-shirt harasses woman for flying an American flag outside her home. The other one, get the fuck out of the city, teen harasses Seattle for wearing a mega hat. Ooh, isn't that nice? I look forward to the day that I don't report this stuff. The media's not going to. Remember, it's the xenophobes that keep playing that same video of kids going... Trump, 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 and somehow by saying Trump, Trump in a high school, that was horrible to illegal immigrants that shouldn't even be in the fucking school, but they are. Oh, I guess I'm the xenophobe, because I believe you should actually come in the country legally. Eh, whatever. So, in case you hadn't heard, a man with a handgun went on a shooting spree in Toronto Sunday night. Partly shooting pedestrians at random before opening fire on a crowded restaurant, killing two and injuring 13. Christine Estima, a Toronto-based novelist and writer, claims to have bylines at Vice, the New York Daily News, CBC, and also part of a pro-Palestine group, did this hot take. We need to put a ban on white men until we can figure out what's going on. We're going to build a wall around them. And get Gavin McGinn's to pay for it. Toronto strong, Toronto shooting, Tron- toxic masculinity. Then we should tax white men, hire and use the extra funds to pay for social services and community initiatives. 
That's quite a big doggone hot take, because the problem is, it was done just like in America, before they knew who it was, and then they identified the gunner as Faisal Hussein. Yeah. And they gave out a press release, a family, condemned the attack, praying for the victims. There were uh, Muslims on the, or pro-Islam people on the streets saying, please have peace. As you know, she uh, deleted the tweet in four minutes and then protected her site in five minutes because she knew she was wrong. But the problem is, then everybody in the world start coming out trying to make it like there's nothing wrong. So I just want you to remember, they lost 50,000 immigrants in Toronto. They don't know where the fuck they are because Trudeau with his fake, his falsy eyebrows wants to... Stick it to Trump, so we'll take anybody. And now it begins. The same thing is happening in Germany. Same thing that's happening in London. No-go zones in your own country. Scary. But then there's no-go zones in our own country here. Please don't let my baby die. Mother holds 10-year-old as she dies following shooting a D.C. apartment. I saw this on Live PD, and it is the most heinous shit I've ever seen in my entire life. Four African-American youths, dressed in black, with hoodies, just pull into an apartment complex, jump out, and blaze away with pistols. Then they jump back in the car and drive away. Whether it was a gang initiation, nobody knows because nobody can identify them. Because they were blacked out completely. I mean, you couldn't see the faces from the distance of the camera that caught it. Um, and they were wearing full masks. And I just, wow. It's Washington, D.C. Strictest gun laws on the planet, too. Hmm. But we finish this before we go to Fire for Effect with the bumper soundbite. I can't believe I forgot it last time. It's my favorite one with the A-10 burping. And the machine gun and the mortars and yada yada. A Google search of images for the word idiot will now show Donald Trump. David Early. Do, do a Google search for idiot. What do you see? Well, first you'll see this story. The Guardian explains, when you type the word idiot in Google image search, Trump is the first return result. This is part because the Green Day song, American Idiot, was used by protesters to soundtrack his trip to London. But since then, there's also been concerted campaign to capitalize on that association and manipulate Google's algorithm by linking the word to the picture. Mostly this involved people upvoting a post containing a photo of him and the word idiot on Reddit. And Google has a history of not messing with his search results, so don't expect any changes. This may seem unfair to his most fervent supporters, but if there's one thing Google is keen to emphasize is that search ain't fair. The company has always refused to play God when it comes to their algorithm. Even when the search term Jew started returning a hook-nosed character in 2004, rather than to delete the image, they instead took out ads next to it to explain why anti-Semitic imagery, as well as anti-Semitic websites like Jew Watch were appearing to so high up on the results. I'm not too old to remember when Bush was stupidest person in the world. An idiot, just like this. They could fix it, and they would fix it. If the search turned back 
Muz Islam and the number one result was Barack Hussein Obama. As sure as I'm a fat, bald guy, they'd be fixing that fucking algorithm. So you can suck a donkey dick. They let it go because of their politics. And this is just another example of how it doesn't matter where you go. The left has infiltrated all our institutions. So you can't get away from their fucking heinous, vitriolic, partisan division. Let's fire for effect. President Trump fires off an explosive tweet overnight in all caps, warning Iran's leader to stop threatening the U.S. or else. What started the president's latest international incident? An escalating war of words between President Trump and Iran. The president tweeting out a headline-grabbing threat in all caps. Overnight, President Trump unleashing a Twitter tirade, warning Iranian President Hassan Rouhani that if Iran threatens the U.S., it will face severe consequences. John, I don't want to go full wag the dog. Um, but, I mean, we know that the president's strategy... The half leg. I mean, the half leg. It goes to here, not to there. <laughs> the, very subtle leg. The president's strategy, he's employed it over and over. We would be foolish not to absorb it and recognize it. He, when he's embarrassed, as he was last week, he always looks for a distraction. And, he, and, and coupled that with the idea that he also may be embarrassed by North Korea because it, yeah. it, we're not, it's not going the way that he promised and they're now reneging on things that he thought that he had gotten. This is, if you listen to liberal critics of the president, this is their worst nightmare. They've always said, we're worried that his words are going to start a war here. We're worried about what he might do to save himself politically. Um, that is a genuine fear here. However, look, I mean, Barbara Starr is reporting there's no movement from the Iranian military. As far as we know, this is just hot words from the president. In his head, this is a rehashing of the greatest hits with North Korea saying, hey, that worked great. And I should point out, Max, the tweet was almost midnight. Sun last night, Sunday night, uh, he tweeted, uh, and in all caps, to make the point that this is a real warning to the Ar Iranians, you can see it right there. Uh, be cautious. That's the end. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. How do you see it? Well, if anybody is issuing demented words of violence and death, I would say it's the President of the United States. I mean, it's, it's quite a pass we've come to when the leadership of a country like Iran seems more stable and rational than the President of the United States. But, I mean, I agree with what was said. I don't actually think he is planning to attack Iran. Uh, I think this is really a ploy to distract Shin from the horrible publicity he got for his subservience to Russia. But this really also, I think, underlines just how extraordinary his conduct towards him is. Because look at what he's doing here. He is threatening Rouhani with, with death and, all, and you know consequences nobody's ever seen before. And what did Rouhani do? He gave a speech which he said, you know, if the U.S. attacks Iran, it will be the mother of all wars. And likewise, if the U.S. makes peace with Iran, it will be the, uh, the peace of all, the mother of all peace. Uh, so this was not some true attack on the United States, 
Uh, it was just some rhetoric, whereas Vladimir Putin is actually attacking the United States, as we know from his director of national intelligence, and Trump has nothing to say about that. Moreover, today, or sorry, uh, yesterday, uh, Mike Pompeo, you know, gave a speech about Iran at the Ronald Reagan Library, a lot of which I agree with, and he was really pointing out the corruption and the human rights abuses in Iran, which he's right to do. But how come Pompeo and, and Trump and all, nobody in the administration ever points out the corruption and human rights abuses in Russia? Once again, the news is about a tweet that was in all caps. They were freaking the fuck out. And uh, the two sound bites I want to address in that is Allison Camerata on CNN actually talking about Wag the Dog. Listen, during the Clinton administration, every tent in Afghanistan was off limits because if something came out about Slick Willie's, you know, fucking cigar dildos, he'd blast away some tomahawks and kill Afghanis, not anybody important. And the last one with Max Boot, a severely, severely partisan moonbat who says horrible things online. You know... CNN doesn't give a fuck about the ratings, and they sure don't care about being objective. That is New Day with Allison Camerata. That's their beginning show. That's their happy-go-lucky show that has turned into another freak show trying to scare the American people about everything Trump does. Granted, should he be doing foreign policy in a tweet? Fuck no. Fuck no. But it wouldn't really matter if he put it out during normal channels. It wouldn't matter if he did a speech on it. You were going to rip it apart and do the job of Iran. Because that's what it comes down to. Max Boot said it. When they believe Iran is the adult in the room, that's all you need to think. When it's a conservative president, they root for our enemy. When it's a Democratic president, they say we're sorry to our enemy. I mean, that's just Democrats across the board nowadays. Not old Democrats that I used to vote for, normal middle love America Democrats. That party's gone. You know, we talk all the time about how the conservative party's destroyed because of Donald Trump. Obama Co. destroyed the Democrats. They're so far fucking left. They fucking hate America. They hate everything about it. And they want socialism, as we'll see. Because that's a hot streak on the left right now. Neon Taser kind of takes it. Hey, the leader of Iran didn't threaten anyone. Um, He does it all the time. Yeah, but does he do it at night in all caps? Checkmate. Is he talking about the leadership that hangs gay men from cranes on the streets of Tehran? And this is all directed towards Max Boot. Real conservatives on CNN prefer stain and or Iranian theocratic strongmen to four-year limited American presidential terms because they are 100% serious and patriotic. And Frank Forrest, Max Boot shilling for Iran to get Trump cons. That's pretty fucking sick. And it's true. NPR takes us to the next tangent. President Trump wants to invite Russian leader Vladimir Putin to the White House. Bradley Whitford, who was a bad motherfucker on the West Wing, believes he still is. Retweet if you're willing to use your body to block Vladimir Putin from desecrating our White House. At the request of this traitorous president. So far, nearly 2,000 people have retweeted that. But we're guessing not nearly that many would show up to form a human barricade trying to stop Putin from getting to the White House. Michael Tracy tweets. Sorry, page freeze. Comedy gold. 
That's true. Then we got the FISA application. It was released. A lot of it reestablishes that Nunes wasn't a moon bat, like the media said. Wasn't partisan. It's pretty accurate. And Greg Jarrett from Fox News did a tweet screen, and I thought it was pretty prescient. Newly released documents prove that Comey's FBI and the DOJ relied almost entirely on the phony and unverified anti-Trump dossier to gain warrants to wiretap Trump campaign associate. The dossier paid for Clinton and Democrats was about 95% of the application to spy. I spent my entire chapter laying it out, the same evidence in my book, The Russia Hoax, the illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald Trump. The book comes out this Tuesday. These new documents corroborate what's in the book book. I hope you'll read it. Comey has not been telling the truth and pretend the dossier was only a minor part of the Warren application that he signed a wiretap claiming it was not a critical part of it. And there was significant amount of additional material. Demonstratively untrue. Not what you hear in the media, but what I read of the Pfizer warrant, it's pretty much what we said it was from day one. This is a scam. This is a hoax. This is just something they're doing for political gain. It's no different than every fucking time our conservatives in there, the media and the left go on some tangent about stupid shit, and then when their president says pallets of cash to Iran and a sneaky deal in the middle of the night and allow Iran to do what the fuck they want, they don't report it. Hmm. Alleged Russian agent Maria Butina is back in the news. She met with government officials during the Obama administration. Oh, dear Lord, are you serious? Traveled to the U.S. in 2015 with the Russian Central Bank Deputy Governor, and they took part in separate meetings with U.S. officials during the Barack Obama administration to discuss economic relations. There's even pictures with her and President Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, I don't see the media freaking out about those. Even though we did a Where's Waldo laugh podcast blaming Trump and he's a piece of shit and Russia, Russia, Russia. It sure seems like Obama met with a lot of Russians and nobody had a problem with it. They were resetting with a big old fucking Office Depot button and they thought that was diplomacy. Hmm. Then the New York Times, gross hypocrisy on Russia threat. I just want to bring us back to 2012. Romney's 2012 warning, reckless and unworthy. I'm just going to read the meaty parts. Two decades after the end of the Cold War, Mitt Romney still considers Russia to be America's number one geopolitical foe. His comments display either a shocking lack of knowledge about international affairs or just uncraven, or excuse me, craven politics. Either way, they are reckless and unworthy of a major presidential contender. Richard Oppel Jr. in April 2012 with the Republican nomination, nominating contests all but over, Mr. Romney now faces pressure to elaborate on his foreign policy views, including some that have puzzled experts in both parties, like describing Russia on CNN recently as America's number one geopolit- geopol- geopolitical po- opponent. Mitt Romney's recent declaration that Russia is America's top geopolitical adversary drew raised eyebrows and worse from many Democrats, some Republicans, and the Russians themselves, all of whom suggest that Mr. Romney was misguided, struck in the Cold War mindset. Yeah. But now, we're going to nuclear war with them tomorrow. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. But my favorite's the AP. They fact-checked 
as follows the dossier. Trump, it was classified to cover up misconduct by the FBI and the Justice Department and misleading the court by using this dossier as a dishonest way to gain a warrant to target the Trump team. The facts. Wiretraps are, requests are routinely classified, protect sources and methods not to cover up misconduct. Multiple news organizations, including the Associated Press, requested that the government release the documents under the Freedom of Information Act. The New York Times and others sued for its release, resulting in the documents being posted on the FBI's website. It's also not correct to call the Steele dossier a Clinton campaign document. Steele was hired by Fusion GPS, a private research firm, that in turn was hired by the law firm that presented the Democratic campaign. But Clinton's closest aides said they didn't learn about the research until after the election, which is probable considering they never raised the allegation publicly. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? This article says, we especially like the use of, but Clinton's closest aides said, and a fact check of Donald Trump's stellar work there, which is probable, is also a nice touch. So the DNC and the Clinton campaign didn't pay for the dossier. They went through a law firm that paid Fusion GPS, who paid for the dossier, and they didn't use any of it publicly as an opposition researcher on the campaign, and that's why it's incorrect. IT guy sums it up. He tweeted the following. This is stunning. Defies words. The first sentence of the last paragraph basically fact-checks. Trump's statement is correct, even though the wording is torturous. The second sentence is purely speculation, opinion, and has no business in fact-check references. Mr. Davis, a deliberate effort to obfuscate the origin or providence of the document doesn't stop it from being a Clinton campaign document. If you engage in money laundering, use a shell corporation to hide your ownership of a property, it is still your property in the end. And there it is. But this is the norm on fact checks. We got a Snope one in here that's just horrible. They will do fucking intestinal yoga to help Democrats. But they won't do that for conservatives. The AP has turned into a fucking joke. Half the time I got to get my news from Reuters, who's still biased as fuck. But they stick to the facts. They don't try to invent hearsay to make it a fact. Then Hillary, who was in a maternity gown or something with a help me, I can't get up button around her neck. I saw that picture. It was like, wow, something's seriously wrong with her health. But she's running in 2020. I remember that. She went on this screed. Now, when the Russian president, Dmitry, oh, I'm sorry, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton called the summit between Trump and Putin deeply disturbing. Everybody said, now when the Russian president, Dmitry Medved, told then President Obama that he would transmit this information to Vladimir Putin after Obama told him that he would have more flexibility at the election, did she find that disturbing? I'm just asking. Was that disturbing? Because it was disturbing to me to hear that open mic. It was more disturbing to watch the media cover for him and say, oh, you know, that's just, that's diplomacy. You know, America doesn't want George Bush cowboy diplomacy. We want behind closed doors, nobody knows what the fuck's going on diplomacy. Clearly, nothing America's ever wanted. But the big panic this week, because each week I have a panic for the media and the left and the resistance and fucking dogs and cats sleeping together, fucking horror. It's the pulling of security clearances.
The president is threatening to punish Brennan and Comey and Clapper for saying things about him that he doesn't like. Uh, is that presidential? Every speech he doesn't like, and he wants to punish them for it. Okay, so uh, Sarah Sanders there. Let's just call it what it was. She really threw a grenade in there when it comes to this news uh, that she's now saying the White House is now considering not only revoking the security clearance of the former CIA chief uh, John Brennan, but also that of uh, Comey, Clapper, McCabe, and Rice. Tell us, uh, General Clapper, how many years did you serve in the active U.S. military, uh, and, and how personally irritated are you right now that someone with your background in the military, 30, 40 years, whatever it was, is being treated like this? Why is this threat so troubling? Well, look, these are people who are critics of the president. president doesn't like them uh, because they have been critical. Some of them were uh, served for Obama, so that's another, that's another strike against them. It's a slippery slope. Do you evaluate people who currently have security clearances in the law enforcement agencies on their political beliefs, on their political party? Uh, you had the press secretary there in that clip you played saying that these individuals may have politicized the process. Actually, this is politicizing the process. If you remove security clearances from a James Clapper, for example, and you say, you know what, we're not going to bother talking to that person anymore, that, that's a potential national security threat. Now, he's on a list that includes former FBI officials James Comey and Andrew McCabe, neither of whom currently have security clearances because they were fired. Michael Hayden, former CIA director, says the new threat won't have any effect on what I say or write. Former Obama National Security Advisor Susan Rice, silent for now. I think this is... Uh... Uh, just a very, very petty, uh, a petty thing to do. Former intelligence leaders typically keep their clearances so they can talk about sensitive matters with their successors. A security clearance is also very valuable for former officials in the private sector. And so to lose one could amount to a financial penalty. But the president himself is not usually personally involved in decisions to revoke that clearance. To critics, it's not just Nixonian, it's political punishment. Brennan has even seemed to hint darkly that he knows secrets harmful to Trump, tweeting in March, when the full extent of your venality, moral turpitude, and political corruption becomes known, you will take your rightful place as a disgraced demagogue in the dustbin of history. All this enrages Trump. The president is threatening to punish Brennan and Comey and Clapper for saying things about him that he doesn't like. Uh, is that presidential? They politicized and in some cases actually monetized their public service and their security clearances and making baseless accusations of improper contact with Russia or being influenced by Russia against the president is extremely inappropriate. So when we further updates on that front, I'll certainly Their free like, speech you know, he doesn't like and he wants to punish them for it. Uh, no, I think you are uh, creating your own story there. The president doesn't like the fact that people are politicizing uh, agencies and um, departments that are specifically meant to not be political. Chief legal analyst Dan Abramson. I think a lot of people also don't know that former officials often maintain their security clearances. Right. But the big question on the table is, if the president wanted to follow through, how would he do it? Okay, so first let's say that there are 4 million Americans who have security clearance. A lot of them are contractors, don't work for the government. They regularly monetize their access to having security clearance. And remember that having security clearance doesn't mean you get access to, to secure information. What it means is you're part of the eligible pool 
pool of people who could get access. Then there's another step. When there's something specific you want to have access to, you then have to get authorization. So I think it's important to understand that context. The president has wide latitude when it comes to security clearance. Typically, the only thing the courts can get involved in is the process. How did he go about revoking it? What were the procedures that were put in place, etc.? But with all that said, the idea that the president would be revoking security clearance, not based on wrongdoing, just based on words, is shameful. Well, but, and that, that, that's why a court could, in the end, even though the president does have wide powers, you say, could, in the end, say, this process simply isn't fair. He's targeting people who have First Amendment rights. Yes, except that the president's got ways around it. Meaning, I think that there are ways that if the president uh, did this in particular ways, he could do it without the courts getting a real opportunity to review We'll see if he's going to follow through. Meanwhile, new development on the Mueller investigation, as well new word from the president's legal team uh, that he might be willing, he's offered to Mueller that the president would be willing to answer questions about collusion but not obstruction of justice. And I know you're skeptical about the president's team's willing to sit down for anything yeah. at all, but is this something you think Mueller would accept? Uh, no. Uh, they're calling it a counteroffer, right? I don't know what it means, a counteroffer. A counteroffer to the fact that Mueller said, we want to talk to the president. And now Giuliani's coming out and saying, well, we've got a counteroffer now. Uh, initially it was, we won't talk about his business dealings, but we'll talk about other things. Now it's, well, we won't talk about the possibility of obstruction of justice. Here's the problem. Is obstruction of justice is too closely linked to collusion. Even if there is no collusion, you still have to be able to figure out what were the possible reasons for potential obstruction of justice. So I don't see how they can figure out where that line is drawn between collusion and obstruction of justice in a, in a way that Mueller would deem to be acceptable. So still no interview. I, there's no interview. It's not going to happen. Now, this was started by Rand Paul. Rand Paul uh, suggested that John Brennan has been monetizing a security clearance. Is John Brennan monetizing a security clearance? Is John Brennan making millions of dollars divulging secrets to the mainstream media with his attacks on Trump? Senator Rand Paul again. Today I will meet with President and I'll ask him to revoke John Brennan's security clearance. As you heard, Sanders said Comey, Clapper, Brennan, Hayden, Rice, and McCabe pulling their security clearances. NBC Nightly News did. President Secretary, uh, Press Secretary Sanders says Trump looking to take away security clearance of high-profile Obama-era officials. Brennan, Comey, Clapper, Hayden, and Rice with all their former titles. You know, you never see conservatives get the formal titles. I mean, we've been talking about Madeline, uh, Secretary Madeleine Albright forever, and that fucking old bitty just drives me crazy. Then Ken Dillian. Ken Dillian, security clearance are valuable commodity by making this threat. Trump is seeking to, to levy a financial penalty on Brennan and Clapper. There are also public policy reasons for former intel leaders remain cleared, so then they help their successors. But the whole world goes, a valuable commodity? This is not nearly as persuasive an argument as apparently seen in your head, which is true. Then, Jennifer Rubin, a sickening example of content discrimination, a violation of the First Amendment. I hope they do it so the victims can sue. That's actually a WAPO conservative saying that. Sorry, didn't mean to hit the mic. Kurt Schultz, the real reason these ex-government hacks are screaming is they... 
that having the security clearance exponentially increases their value as consultants, pundits, and media sources. This is not about serving our country. It's about status and lining their pockets. Hugh Hewitt, violation of the First Amendment. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Reiner, the one of the leaders of the resistance, who just taken another big step towards autocracy. An illegitimate president just threatened to remove security clearance from Brennan, Clapper, Hayden for being patriots or critical POTUS. Hell bent on destroying democracy. Save the U.S. That's he's so dramatic. He's more dramatic now than he was a meathead. Which is what our next tweeter said. Vote. Hey, meathead. They no longer hold their prior positions. They have no need of security clearance. Ryan Savandra. Trey Gowdy. I have not seen one scintilla evidence that this president colluded, conspired, collaborated with Russia, and neither has anyone else. Or you can rest assured Adam Schiff would have leaked it. When he was then asked about the security clearances, he said what I'm about to say. Folks, we've never had a time in our history that so many high-level, deep-state individuals have started working for the media. Brennan, Comey, have already proven they were political actors, not unbiased agents of federal agencies. And with all the leaking of confidential and secret information to the press. My question is, why didn't Trump do this sooner? Why? They should have had their shit pulled a long time ago. And people will say it's political. No, it's not anymore. It's about national security. In my opinion, what is going on is a coup with those people trying to absurd a president who was duly elected by the American people, whether we like it or not, that's what happened. And their constant badgering online with information that shouldn't be getting out, they've lost their right to that clearance. Secondly, I had a secret clearance. It expired upon the time frame after I retired. There's no need for me to keep my clearance. If I was a contractor, if I was doing something that was helping and aiding the U.S. Army, maybe they would extend it. But I'm almost 13 years down the road retired. Why do I need a security clearance to sit at the house and podcast? I don't. So if the shoe was on the other foot, and this had happened to Barack Hussein Obama, you would see the media not Rand Paul, pushing to pull security clearances. But we live in such a hypocritical age of tribal media that they are just so entrenched against everything conservative. You know, it's just Wednesday. You know, it's just another day with another goddamn faux outrage that Trump is ripping the fiber of America. Uh, you'll hear that later in hypocrisy. But I want to close to Russia with a pretty important thing right here. Ryan Brown, a real journalist. In a move likely to irk Moscow, the Pentagon has released $200 million in new security assets to Ukraine days after the Trump-Putin meeting. According to U.S. and Ukrainian officials, the funds will go towards counter-artillery radars, vehicles, night vision, comms, and medical equipment. So if he's such butt buddies with them, and he's in Putin's hip pocket, 
Why would he release that? And why didn't the media report it? Wouldn't that assuade the fears of the meatheads out there who think the U.S. is about to be attacked? I would think so, but, you know, facts never are something the far left wants. To immigration. Now we are getting a better sense here of what life was like uh, in those shelters. This is something you've been looking at for a very long time. Um, there have been allegations of abuse, uh, of children having to do chores under duress and difficulties within these centers. How in keeping is that with what you saw before this particular crisis unfolded so publicly? Look, David, I, I was doing this reporting, you know, through 2010. Mm -hmm. So um, it was in the lead up under the George W. Bush administration and then kind of went on steroids under the Obama administration. The abuse has been there. The abuse continues to be there. These, um, these detention facilities continue to get fabulous audits from the people who are coming in to see whether or not they're being professional. So the places where I've been, where there has been rampant charges of sexual assault against women, oftentimes by women guards against women, and then they just, their contracts get renewed. So there is, I guess for me, you know, when I think about this, I'm like, my God, we've been talking about sexual assault. We've been talking about the fact that children are put into uh, perreras, mm. cages. They're put into places that are called yeleras, ice boxes, that we know that women have been sexually assaulted, that men have been taken out back and beaten, that children are put to work and told not to cry. This has been happening for the longest time. The difference now is that because of these policies, people finally are paying attention. But it's not just about these 2,000 mm. kids. It's about the tens of thousands of families that have been ripped apart. To my fans who love me on the West Coast, or love this podcast, either to piss you off or agree with me. If you agree with me, then ignore this. But if you do this to piss me, get pissed off, I make this disclaimer. That's an NPR reporter. It's not the Daily Caller. It's not Breitbart. Can't get farther left than the NPR. They're pretty uber. And once again, it reaffirms that what we're seeing is faux outrage. The 2,000 kids are nothing compared to the 70,000 kids or the 30,000, excuse me, kids that were in detention centers back in the day. The rampant abuse of people was happening long before Donald Trump came in. And almost every article I've read, I can't name you a current scandal. It's all past tense. But it's convenient. Because now we're reporting again because there's a conservative president. So we pin it on them. That's how it works. You know, I heard somebody this week about the VA. You know, Obama pledged to fix the VA. Fix the VA. He never fixed shit because he didn't care. That's not a demo that votes for him. So why would he care? Saul Alinsky 101. Get rid of the military. Use that money to give out more free cheese and you get everybody to vote for you. But I'm hearing people bitch to Trump. I don't think Trump improved my odds of getting my packet back in seven seven months. I don't think him or Obama had anything to do with it. I think it was the administration itself of those institutions that finally started getting things going. I mean, sure, it was fucked up, missing records, this, that, and the other thing. They were pretty soup-boned. But when you break it down... And the point I'm trying to make is, if this shit was really that important, why weren't you reporting it for eight years? Why? I didn't hear NPR fucking freaking out about sexual assaults on women by women guards. I know, because we didn't want to hurt the home team. Got it. The Hill.
and you knew this was coming. Detained migrants say they are being given food that violates their religion. Somebody said, well, that's pretty good. Don't give them food. <laughs> Somebody else said, is this supposed to make me sympathetic? It does the exact opposite. They're being given food and they're complaining. Another one said, I have a simple fix. Go back home. Yeah. Then a huge article from Houston. ICE agents arrest mother and son at a domestic violence court hearing. The left was up in arms about it. But you know what? When you're in a sanctuary city, then that's where they can catch them. Sorry about that. Then there's this one. It seems that no, no amount of pleading can keep people from comparing whatever happened in the news each day to the Holocaust. Reaching for the rock bottom, Senator Richard Blumenthal last month said the separation of families at the border reminds us of the cattle cars in Nazi Germany when children were separated from their parents and marched to supposed showers. While General Michael Hayden tweeted a photo of a Birkenau death camp at Auschwitz, actually the situation at the border reminds us nothing of cattle cars of Nazi Germany, but historian Bruce Bartlett, the author of a book about hot, hot to fight, how to fight fake news, is hoping some brave Anne Franks out there, Bruce Bartlett. I hope some teenage girl now imprisoned in an ice cage for the crime of having parents who asked for asylum in the U.S. is writing the modern version of the Diary of Anne Frank. People replied, as much as your analogy is apt, there's no Zyklon B waiting for her yet. Yet was the word that really bothered me that somebody would say that. Another one, if she dies, will be from neglect. Because nobody's getting killed there. And another one, yes, because those situations are exactly the same. You're such a special kind of stupid. <laughs> and then there's all sorts of articles like this. We can understand why the Associated Press went with a clickbait headline to tell to sell its story. Deportations take a unique toll to blended American families. Deportations aren't really hot anymore. The news cycle has moved on to about three other shiny objects since then. But the AP did what it could to spice things up. Here's their tweet. She voted for Trump, but now I'm ashamed. A Missouri woman feels the anguish after her daughter-in-law gets deported, leaving behind abused child and life in America. The problem is, this article breaks down. She's such a stupid woman voting for Trump. What did she think was going to happen to her illegal immigrant daughter-in-law? If you stick with the story, it only takes 24 paragraphs, 24, because they bury the lead, to get to the line. Officially, Stingle's deportation process began under, under, Bueller, anybody out there? Obama! If you make it to the 19th paragraph, you'll learn that authorities only learned that Letty Stingle was in the U.S. illegally when she was arrested for... Anybody? Anybody? DUI. A DUI. Ellen Smith. Count 25. It was 20 paragraphs before it was mentioned that she was arrested DUI and spent a month in jail, thus alerting ICE of her illegal status. Paragraph 25 revealed, officially Stingle's deportation process began under Obama. Drew McCoy does a nice little screed on this. I read as many of these stories as I can because I think if you're going to advocate for a policy, you should know about and accept the cost of it. But there's almost always a kicker to these stories. The crime they commit beyond illegal entry, in this case DUI. I'm also fascinated by what crime has 
to be downplayed as not all that important. DUI is my favorite example in the genre because it's, it's anyone but an illegal alien. It's a very serious crime. But an illegal alien, suddenly it's, hey, who among us, am I right? And I'm a bit of a squish because of think stories about legal aliens getting the boot for this sort of thing years, sometimes decades later. It's unfair and cruel. But illegal aliens, yeah, you always broke one law. I see no reason for two bites of the illegal apple. And as for reading all this genuinely sad stories about people being deported because I think, you know, you need to know need to own your policy choices. I'd love to see more stories about the victims of crimes committed by illegal aliens, but those stories aren't approved of, so not so many are told. And he's right. This one's my favorite. Doc Hughes. One of our local sportscasters was killed by one of the above DUI aliens. We've been fuming for several years over it here. He was on a, a scooter on Sunday morning doing something mundane like going for a paper. Another one that was buried so quick, and it took us months to find out what happened to him. Look what Edwin Jackson, linebacker for the Colts, drunk driver, killed Jackson, and his Uber driver was an illegal alien. .19 BAC, previously deported twice, tried to flee the scene, forged identity, etc. You never hear that. They mock Katie Stingle, who was shot on a pier. But for these illegal immigrants, there is no crime. Remember, just months ago, the left loved MS-13. Was upset because Trump called them animals. And as I've stated over and over, just go watch Sicario. Watch Sicario and tell me they're not animals. These people are next fucking level evil. But we got to see why it's happening, because the media is so entrenched in liberal policies. These are some stats, all right, done by the Media Research Center, of the coverage. Since Trump has taken office, 20 January 2017 till June 30th, travel ban, 267 minutes. Zero tolerance separation, 245 minutes. Obama DACA. 114 minutes. Border wall, 100. Increased deportation, 78. Nation's shithole, 32. Crackdown on sanctuary cities, 20. And other in general discussions, 139 minutes. That's 995 negative minutes on Trump on just ABC, NBC, and CBS. That's all we're doing. The evening news, not CNN. Those numbers will be through the roof. Then another one, this is once again ABC, CBS, and NBC, how TV skews is immigration news. Victims of Trump policies, 478. Protesters against Trump policies, 163. Advocates for illegal immigrants, 85. Law enforcement, 83. Border residents, 13. Friend families of crime, 5. Advocate for enhanced enforcement, 4. Four minutes. If you total up law enforcement, residents, victims of crime, and advocates, it's not even close to protesters against Trump. So protesters against Trump policies gets more airtime than victims who've lost their loved ones. 
But that doesn't surprise me. We go back to the fucking conventions. The loved ones who lost lives in Benghazi were mocked on TV. But Trayvon Martin and families got up there and the media cooed over it. They thought it was riveting TV. They got more airtime than she did. That's the media. And right now, one of the leading candidates for president, supposedly, on the Democratic Party. A shining star. A senator that I actually respected until recently for advocation for women that are abused in the military. Something that I made a personal stand on when I lobbied once, and I wouldn't talk about it, because I did have a problem for the first time with the chain of command handling stuff, because I know how things are. Certain people can do whatever the fuck. I watched too many Rangers, because I was not Ranger qualified, not that I have a Ranger qualification. Um, Hate thing. I'm just saying, I watched them get DUIs, and they get hooked up, whereas a normal Joe would fucking go away. And it was probably because they're part of a Ranger regiment, they knew all the big leaders. It was a brotherhood. I understand that. But that brotherhood isn't just Rangers, it's anybody in the military. There's brotherhoods. There are those that can do things and there's those that can't do things. And I know as a team player going forward with just a profile was a problem. You know, I had a profile once for my knee and I was shunned. Because I couldn't train, I couldn't do anything for a while. So what makes it a woman who's been raped, she goes forward, she looks like she's not a team player, especially if it's an important person. So I had a, I was up there and I was supposed to be advocating for the uh, chain of command to handle it and should never go outside, which is how they're doing it. But I wouldn't say anything and I got cornered by some woman who had never been in the military, was just a political entity, and she was pissed that I wouldn't speak and I just said, I, I'm against it. I don't agree with that. So I respected Kristen Gillibrand, which is the point we're getting to after I sashayed off on a story you don't care about. And this is what she said this week. Future. So when we flip the House and flip the Senate, I think the first thing we should do is deal with the children who are being separated from their families at the border. We should, I think we should get rid of ICE. We should separate out two missions and do the anti-terrorism mission, the national security mission, and then on the other side, make sure you're doing... Um, Looking at immigration as a humanitarian. That's how far they've gone on this open border nonsense. And they believe it's a winner. Yet all the polls show it's not. All the polls say we need our borders. The wall. People are for this. People that are on the border are for this. People who know people that have been hurt by this. I mean, just the simple fact that forever Democrats have blocked the ability for states to track crimes. So many states don't even track the crimes of illegal immigrants because it's such a third rail type conversation. If you push for that, you're xenophobic. All in the quest to get votes. They would sell America out for votes. Doesn't matter who comes in. I just want their vote. That's fucking scary. To a special kind of stupid, it's happening way too much. In Texas, a a waiter claims a few days ago that a customer left a racist note. It went viral 
with MSM outlets all over the place picking up the story and spreading it wide and far. We don't tip terrorists. Last night at work, I received this note from one of my tables. The moment I didn't know what to think nor what to say, I was sick to my stomach. I share this because I want people to understand that this racism and this hatred still exist. Although this is nothing new, it's still something that will test your faith. All day I've had to remind myself that Jesus died for these people too. I've decided to let this encourage me and fuel me to change the world the only way I know how. So to all the haters out there, keep talking. You're only helping me step into my destiny. WAPO, Newsweek, CBS, NBC, ABC, NewsNow, Big 2 News, KMID. I hope that the people who wrote me that know find Jesus. And I hope that he can experience, they can experience the same love I've experienced from Jesus Christ. Khalil Cavill is turning an incident meant to tear him down into one that will build him up. Just one problem. After the restaurant looked into it and talked to the waiter, it was discovered that the entire thing was fabricated. Texas waiter made up racist story. Note, Saltgrass COO says. After the company's statement was released, Cavill admitted to Odessa America that he wrote the note himself and apologized to the reporter because I did lie to you. I don't have an explanation. I made a mistake. There's no excuse for what I did, he told Odessa America. Officials told the paper that Cavill is no longer employed at the steakhouse. And once again, I can't find a picture, a link, or anything from the mainstream media recanting the story. Because they didn't. They just wanted to push the meme because of Trump's hate. America's doing this. Yet, nine out of ten of these incidents since Trump has been in office have been fabricated. Fabricated. How many times have I come back on the show, girl on a bridge, person here, this, that, the other thing. They just want to go viral. This kid got his Andy Warhol 15 minute of fame. And then the restaurant said, wait a minute, that never happened. And he released people's information online. What the fuck? You're fired. It's it's unbelievable that people believe that's how you're cool. Getting vir- virtue signaling online is such a great thing nowadays on the left. And it makes them sleep well at night, I guess. And the media's inability to put as much fervor into the true story or researching it before they print it, like WAPO did not. To gun! Oh, we got a lot of pain on gun. Michael Rooker Online, one of the actors, friends and fans, and his important announcement from Michael Rooker. This account will be inactive at today. We're very tired and upset over the ongoing bullshit. Neither I nor my rep will use Twitter again. Twitter sucks, and I want nothing to do with it. Thank you all for your kind words and support. Chris Pratt, who literally is a good person, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. James, 119. Zoe Zalita, I've been a challenging weekend. I'm not going to lie. I'm pausing myself to take everything in before I speak out of term. 
I just want everyone to know I love all members of Got G O T G family. Always will. Kristen Powers. Before we talk about Kristen Powers, understand she wrote a book about how not to jump to conclusions, give people um, the benefit of the doubt, but when people do things wrong, they should be fucked for it, right? Yeah, this is what she wrote. This witch hunt to take down people for old comments they have apologized for has to stop. James Gunn should be rehired by Disney, which should not have participated in an obvious campaign to silence a Trump critic. People should be allowed to make mistakes and or say provocative, offensive things. If they go too far, they should be allowed to apologize and move on. Note, Kevin Williamson didn't apologize for his hot take about hanging women who's had abortions. If conservatives don't en masse condemn the firing of James Gunn by Disney, they should shut up about how they care about free speech. The end. Stephen Miller's reply. These two tweets back-to-back are pretty incredible. Free speech arguments aren't predicated as on an apology, and Powers does, does to Williamson that she accused people of doing to Gunn. The people who got Gunn fired were acting in bad faith and misrepresenting his take, and how now what? me do the exact same thing with Kevin Williamson. Kristen Powers doesn't condemn the Atlantic for firing Kevin Williamson, then she should shut up about free speech. See how it works? Political math. This has been a really depressing part of the James Gunn disaster. I deeply, deeply oppose his firing. Watching some liberals twist in their pretzels to say, we were good to get people fired, but you are bad to do the same. Momo, this is the same PCBS we've been dealing with for decades. It's meant to shut people up, and the rules are completely arbitrary. So you don't know whether something you say will cross someone's line. It is intended to and does have the effect of chilling speech. And Philosopher Stone 9, when Krista Powers doesn't understand it's not about free speech, it's about double standards. The left created rules to try to shut us up. Now they have to live with the consequences. They will now forever live with the rules they created. More importantly, and to the point, this man talked about pedophile, pedophilia. He talked about little kids touching his funny place. That's a big difference between somebody being asked, well, should somebody be executed for getting an abortion in a conversation about abortion. These are not even the same things. Abortion will never be criminal. We're talking about totally what-ifs. This man was had 10,000 tweets that related to little kids as sexual objects. And to the point everybody else is making, this is your world, progressives. You made this world. You have so many no-go zones, so many words that can't be said. When you can't get somebody to shut the fuck up and you're losing an argument, you infer every other word in the English language somehow becomes fucking racist, xenophobic, sexist, ableist, transphobic, homophobic, whatever. And when it happens to you, it's a problem. Kristen Powers, just a couple months ago, said the best thing they ever did on ABC was fire Roseanne for calling somebody a monkey. From Planet of the Apes. That's what Roseanne did. She lost her show. They've rewritten it to be a liberal fucking nightmare that most conservatives won't watch. And that was the best thing ever. She called somebody a look-alike to Planet of the Apes. A very 
apt comparison because she does look like the female from the first Planet of the Apes. But that was implied to be racist as fuck. And I, once again, don't know how far liberals are going to go with their crazy. Because this isn't... It's not just a few people defending a pedophile. Granted, we don't know if he's ever acted on it, but if you're writing shit over and over and over and over about how little kids get your rocks off, that's some sick, illegal shit. And I am almost 100% sure if a conservative was talking about little boys touching his funny part, is tickle place. I am sure as fuck it would lead on NBC Nightly News. Especially if he did a conservative movie, a religious movie, a TV show like uh, Last Man Standing where they're talking about God or Blue Bloods where they pray. Oh, I'm sure that would fit the agenda quite well, wouldn't it? Fucking hypocrites. Sick hypocrites. To a music break and tweets of the day.
the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed Tweets of the day. Byron York sets us, sends us off. When FISA application was released, critics who slammed the Nunes memo last February started slamming it again. But there's a problem. It's almost entirely accurate, and the FISA memo supports that view. Just wanted to back up what I said. I see it as two peas in a pod. But our tweets of the day become comes from Planned Parenthood Action Fund over the weekend, tweeted that Mississippi has only one abortion provider and then offered a chart to show just how easy it is to get an abortion in California, about as far progressive as you can get. A sanctuary state where colleges give abortions and morning-after pills. This is their graphic that was supposed to get me to go, oh, that's just fucking horrible. California, make an appointment. No major restrictions get an abortion. In Mississippi, their critique is they have to travel to a clinic because there's no at-home abortions. That's just horrible. Option to view an ultrasound. State-directed counseling. Get parental consent, which I'm going to go off about in two seconds. 24-hour waiting period. Return to a clinic. Pay out of pocket. Get an abortion. Once again, if you're giving free abortions in California, you're breaking the fucking law. That's what they're admitting. They just broke the law. No money can be paid through governments for fucking abortion. But that's what they're inferring. This article says, nice comparison chart. Apparently in California, you don't even have the inconvenience of traveling to a clinic, which is probably true considering how many abortion providers have set up shop there. And the horror being the opposition to view an ultrasound before making a decision. It's literally the handmaid's tale. Woman, Momo, I failed to see the problem. Lucas H., 
because it makes child murder a little less convenient. People might have to consider not having sex just to eliminate the chance of conception. Another one, I love how get parental consent is a major restriction. Also, how a 24-hour waiting period, period is a ma major restriction. Also, how the option to view the ultrasound is a major restriction. Etc. abortion is the only thing in California not regulated or restriction. You say that as if abortion has been outlawed. Could it be that there's not a demand for abortion in Mississippi? Another one. You people need to change your name from Planned Parenthood to Planned Abortion. Karen M. Stone, a woman. Wow, great news. Thanks for sharing. Can't wait till it's zero. Which is our tweet of the day after I run my gums. What the fuck is wrong with parental consent? Why can a 16-year-old girl go in and get an abortion. Why? I'm all for no parental consent for birth control. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But you get bent because they have to get parental consent to kill their babies? And once again, comparing Mississippi to California is like apples and zucchinis. You forgot the most important thing, religion. California doesn't have religion. California is pretty much a non-religious state. They're pretty secular in their approach to everything. Mississippi's the South. I know you hate Southerners up there in the ivory towers of progressivism, but most of us value babies. You just see it as an impediment to your life. Hey, Tweet of the Day! To our hate tweets, lame! Cosplay resistance to be out in force during VP Mike Pence's visit to Philly. Of course, the Hill covered it. 100 activists will dress in handmaid's tail clothing to protest Pence in Philly. Fiscal therapists. The fact that they can do this with zero repercussions shows how polar opposite we are from this show. Ah, yes. Because if anything close to the handmaid's tail existed, the handmaids would definitely be allowed to play dress up and go protest their oppressor. I am so sick of the Handmaid's Tale cosplay. You fucking people, man. We're a country that aborts a million babies a year. I mean, right now, let, you know, we're, we're going to pause for a second. For those that have listened to the show for a long time, you can go to numbersofabortions.com, and it's accurate worldwide since 1980. 1,502,000,000 babies have died in, oh God, what just fucking happened? My shit flipped, sorry. In the world, worldwide this year, 22 million. Worldwide since you loaded this page, 54. Worldwide today, 35,000. United States this year, 524,878 babies. U.S. this year after 16-week gestation, 25,000. U.S. this year due to rape, only 5,000. Thousand black babies since 1973. You don't even want to know. 18 million by Planned Parenthood since 1970. They're just leading the charge. 
8,173,653 and a half babies. This year alone, Planned Parenthood has killed 197,000 babies. Since 1973, the United States has killed 60 million babies. And just today, while we were talking, another baby just got aborted. And it's been 834 babies just this year. But we're Gilead. If anything, we're the opposite of Gilead. We don't have babies. Birth rates way down because you have pushed everybody to be eunuchs. Fuck goats. Fuck each other. Not procreate. Marriage is horrible. Christianity is horrible. You liberals are winning. You want to eradicate white people. You talk about it all the time. The white birth rate so low. Blacks and Hispanics are going to lead the world. And we're going to get their votes. But you keep forgetting, if they lead the world, they're not going to vote for you. They're going to vote for themselves, you dumbasses. Which I'm not advocating that's wrong. I'm just saying, your plan zero sums you out at some time. And I'm talking about the far, far left. I mean, you're going to eradicate yourself. Moving on. Sorry, I get fired up on abortion. Um, New York Magazine. New this issue. Senator Warren's full body fight to defeat Trump. Show her running. Dennis Miller has some funnies. I think the Democrats know that Liz Warren is by far their best choice for 2020. And if she get if she just gets out of their own way and select her right now, she'll win 49 out of 50 states, right? Another one. What a day. What a day. What a day. Just picked up 1926S Elizabeth Warren head nickel at auction. 3,450 bucks. <laughs> Sahil Kapoor, every now and then I think about the fact that just six years ago, binders full of women and you didn't build that were what passed for serious controversies. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Those are faux controversies too. But S.E. Cup steps on it. It's the first time I'm going to criticize S.E. Cup on the show. It really hurts me because I like S.E. Cup. When you think about it, I hope it's crystallized that Democrats tried to demonize a good man with awful invective that wasn't true. Those controversies were propped up by the media, and that was a disgraceful failure of the press, which has contributed to a huge distrust. Okay, that's good, right? Mm. Somebody shoots back at her. You literally work for CNN. Yeah, CNN. Thanks, her reply. I'm super proud to be part of the media. We work really hard. We are how you know anything about anything. You, we are how you know anything about anything. You can tell the hate came. Last sentence, preposterous on so many levels. I've been a longtime fan, but never saw this exaggerated sense of professional wealth. Well, worth, I'm sorry. I don't need you to know anything at all. Incredible. You seriously overestimate your importance. Such stunning arrogance. This arrogance is exactly why fewer people trust CNN and other traditional news media outlets. The assumption that the traditional media is the key for us common folk to know anything is ludicrous. I know what I know about what is happening in our world in spite of reporters like yourself. Always remember that I'm... It's not about the media reports. It's about what they don't. Keep those blinders on, Cup. You're doing great. I learn more from Twitter than I do from the fucking media. Because it's worldwide. 
Once again, I've said on the show, I learned about the walkout the DNC convention. I learned about seat fillers in the DNC convention. I realized that, oh, they doubled up the flags because there was criticism on Twitter. I saw actual people at the convention saying this person's a seat filler. It wasn't even faux. I got the facts. I saw the video of the walkout from Bernie Bros in the media tent, and the media ignored it because they didn't want to hurt Hillary. Thought live. I've seen attacks overseas. I've seen the truth overseas. I've learned more shit about the Israeli-Palestinian fracases that have happened from the media overseas, like British media. On the show, we probably put out more information from the Daily Mirror than we do from the New York Times. Because they may be liberal, but the news stories are factual. Isn't that a fucking concept? Then we're back to this shit again. Needless to say, it hasn't gone over well with a lot of people. So obviously, there's only one thing to do. Suspend Trump's account. And here we go. Bill Neely from NBC. I'm sure this tweet is violating Twitter rules. As a regular citizen trying to post this about someone and see what happens. I expect your account will be suspended. Twitter, where are you at? It goes down the road, Stephanie. Rule from NBC. Uh, where does real Donald Trump's tweet land in the universe of acceptable use of the platform, Jack? Rusty Weiss, they're trying to get Trump tweet pulled because it's too mean to Iran. Other people, ba-ha-ha-ha, Libs anger about a treat that a plane full of cash tells you everything about their priorities. Trump will have them chasing their tails for eight years. I don't, I don't actually believe that. Deborah Messing, Alyssa Milano, et all, losing their fucking mind trying to get him blocked on Twitter. My point, once again, why is a journo who's supposed to be a journalist pushing to get the President of the United States off Twitter if they're not an activist? That's what activists do, Stephanie Rule and the rest of NBC. Activists do that. Activists have every right. As a journalist, you're supposed to be objective. Try to Google search it. It probably brings up a p- picture of fucking CNN. Yeah. To hypocrisy. I feel like we have spent the last two years doing one story, right? Um, Doing a lot of one story. Right, doing a lot of different angles on this one story. And we keep, in a way, getting... I feel tricked into thinking, okay, turning point, turning point, yeah. turning point. Things keep feeling like a turning point. So I wonder if from your point of view, having done this again two years, did Helsinki feel like a turning point in this Russia saga? The thing that feels new after Helsinki is that the countries shook up and freaked out about it. I mean, the president being 
oddly and inexplicably and completely deferential to Vladimir Putin is not new. If he had been anything other than that, it would have been a big surprise. Right. Um, yes, there is something about him doing that in, to Putin's face, yeah. rather than presumably just on his bat phone with him, or however it is that they yeah. keep in constant phone communication, which is what we hear from the Russian side. Um, but there's something about the fact that he did that in person, standing next to Putin, that uh, sh shook the country. Yeah. And um, I think I don't think Republicans are excluded from that. And so I, I think what that means is that the president is not necessarily doing anything new, but all of a sudden the country has new clarity about the extremity of the concern about the president. It's yeah. not just, did the president get help from Russia to win his election? Yes, he did. How much documentation is there and what kind of evidence will ultimately turn up about whether his campaign knowingly and knowingly uh, accepted that help or maybe uh, worked collectively with the Russians in order to pull off their hack. That continues to be the legal um, battle that we watch unfold but there's this base level question like maybe we've taken so many turning points we've turned so many corners we're back where we right. started the basic question which I think rung so loud for everybody in the country this week was is our president subordinate to a foreign power yeah. does our president answer to a foreign government and a foreign leader and that private meeting with Putin where nobody knows what he promised or what he may have given away the way that he um, responded to Putin when we saw him face to face and then the fact that he took under consideration all of these demands from Russia including yeah. handing over Americans to Russia for interrogation um, that just you know that it makes the worst case scenario really palpable the worst case scenario that the president is a foreign agent uh, suddenly feels very palpable and you know the more that I talk to intelligence professionals and people who have brought espionage cases and all this kind of stuff, people who have really dealt with these spy movie scenarios in real life the more you hear that the sort of the behavior of a compromised person person who is effectively coerced because of something that a foreign leader a foreign government foreign intelligence service has over them um, the more subtle the signs can be it may not be totally transactional it may not be we've got this thing about you that we're going to expose unless you do our bidding and so therefore hand us this secret it may not always be transactional it may be that there is just a fear factor yeah. where that person who is compromised knows they need to align themselves in every way completely with the views and the preferences of the person who has something on them and so it may be that they just line up all of their values their policy positions their ideologies anything else that you need so that they're never going to take be out of step with the person who effectively controls them yeah. you don't need a pay me back pay me back pay me back transactional um, interaction in order to 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 live as a compromised person and betray your country in that way and that is one of the questions you also saw Michelle Goldberg Democrats far less reticent about saying using words like treason mm -hmm. uh, this week for better or worse politically clearly saying they believe that it's very very possible now that President Trump is compromised and then in the heels of that or it's sort of bookending the summit you have the indictments on the Friday before and the new indictment of Maria Butina as a Russian agent just the day after. Look, I think that increasingly to believe that the president isn't compromised requires such a leap of faith. It requires so many coincidences and kind of inexplicable behavioral choices. I think that the truth is probably what is right in front of us, which is that Donald Trump was a, a kind of a con man, a third-tier failed businessman whose fortunes were rescued by Russian oligarchs. He, 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 ran, he, he presented himself 
um, as a kind of titan of industry, which everybody who knows anything about him knew was ridiculous. He became president with the direct intervention of Putin. He sees his fortunes as inseparable from Putin's. He either, we don't know, I think, if Putin is his handler, his hero, or his co-conspirator, but that's obviously where his loyalty lies as opposed to lying with the American people. And I think increasingly, when you look at the role that the NRA has played all this, you know, their ties to Maria Bettina. You know, the Republican servility has been breathtaking to me and, and really confusing because you do think that, you know, if nothing else, these people are patriots. They have some baseline loyalty to country over party. And yet they've lied down for Trump in this way that, I mean, people, people come out to me in the street. They find it unbelievable. And I think that one of the things that came out this week with the NRA is that Maybe they're not just, you know, craven. Some of them are also complicit because the NRA didn't just help Trump. It helped them all. Word of the day, conspiracy theories. That was Rachel Maddow with that racist piece of fucking shit, Joy Reid. Is Trump really a foreign agency? ABC, this week, with George Snuffleupagus on the conspiracy trail. And make sure you understand, everybody there was an Obama or a Hillary sycophant. The entire show was dedicated to just liberals. They, they don't have any conservatives. A lot of conservatives aren't going on these shows anymore because there's no reason to go on the show. You're just going to get stacked up, treated like shit, and chastised to by a bunch of fucking liberals who are so upset about an election. But it doesn't stop there if this was a freaking infomercial, but there's more. Here's fucking Brian Seltzer with his conspiracies. Times two. When historians look back on the Trump presidency, they'll say that this was the week that something changed. Something really shifted in the conversations about the president. Uncomfortable questions moved into the mainstream in a big way. Trump's odd behavior with Vladimir Putin is compelling so many people to ask, what does Putin have on Trump? Has Trump been compromised? All of those people, those experts, those reporters, they are looking at the fact pattern and they're seeing something strange, even sinister. No rational president would act this way if he weren't being blackmailed on some level. You can't just dismiss this, uh, the, the idea that Putin has something on Trump. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but his behavior is so pervasively bizarre and, and, and against the national interest that it certainly raises the possibility yeah. that something untoward is going on. See, these concerns are now in the bloodstream in a whole new way. I don't think there's any coming back from this. Uh, Josh Marshall of the Liberal Talking Points Memo put it this way. He, he said the press conference in Helsinki made cautious, prominent people start to come to grips with the reality that Trump is under some kind of influence or control by a foreign adversary. Now, Marshall believes that is true. Others are unsure, but the concern is palpable. GOP Congressman Will Hurd says Putin is manipulating Trump. And he asks, what should we do? Of course, the week of walkbacks did not inspire any confidence. Frankly, too many members of the media kind of fell for Trump's cleanup act, you know, his double negative excuse. But you can't clean up actions with mere words. Trump's actions are what have brought us to this place, where critics like Obama's CIA director John Brennan are accusing him of treasonous behavior. But first, this prediction. When historians look back on the Trump presidency, they'll say that this was the week that something changed something really shifted 
in the conversations about the president. Uncomfortable questions moved into the mainstream in a big way. Trump's odd behavior with Vladimir Putin is compelling so many people to ask, what does Putin have on Trump? Has Trump been compromised? All of those people, those experts, those reporters, they are looking at the fact pattern and they're seeing something strange, even sinister. See, these concerns are now in the bloodstream in a whole new way. I don't think there's any coming back from this. Uh, Josh Marshall of the Liberal Talking Points Memo put it this way. He, he said the press conference in Helsinki made cautious, prominent people start to come to grips with the reality that Trump is under some kind of influence or control by a foreign adversary. Now, Marshall believes that is true. Others are unsure, but the concern is palpable. I'm worried that our journalism structures and norms are really ill-suited to this moment in time. You know, think about this cable news screen, right? The banner is the same size, whether it says cat gets stuck in a tree or whether it says Trump might have committed treason. <laughs> and I just wonder, Jill, you're a former CNNer. Are there solutions to that part of the problem, to, to try to convey the stakes of what's going on to the audience? So here's the guy that termed fake news as a slur, who tries to always say that everything he's doing is objective, knowing that what he's about to do is fake news, and he twists it to be fact pattern. Hmm. So the article goes, what does Putin have on Trump? He has been compromised. When historians look back on the Trump presidency, they'll say this was the week when those uncomfortable questions moved into the mainstream. Because we're activists, and they've always been in the mainstream. We already recycled this back after the election, then last summer, and we're doing it again. It's all a conspiracy. Putin owes him. Putin has something over him. There's got to be a reason why he's talking to Putin. We didn't mind when Obama talked to Putin. We didn't mind that Hillary did fucking Uranium One and resets. We were fine with that. Putin was our ally under Obama, but now, oh my God. So replies, CNN goes full Alex Jones. Somebody put a picture of Alex Jones on Reliable Sources. Thought it was funny. CNN... C-N-I-N Infowars. I'm sorry, I read that all fucked up. C-N Infowars. There we go. Miss the old days when CNN reported on the news rather than attempting to create news. Brian Seltzer replied to somebody, the news in this case is a fact pattern. As I've said in the video, and the widespread concern about Trump's behavior vis-a-vis -vis Putin, his actions and words. A.G. Conservative. However anyone feels about Trump, this is irresponsible conspiracy mongering. It is certainly not journalism. Obama administration took action after action to appease Iran. You have never considered running stories about whether he was compromised by Khomeini or secret Muslim. You see how they operate? Far-left nut jobs like Brian Seltzer pose as nonpartisan journalists for years and years, and they use a facade to promote the nuttiest conspiracy theories and pretend they're mainstream. That's the media bias we have been talking about. That's it. I mean, he's not even straight up on himself. Brian Seltzer con contradicts Brian Seltzer. A new CNN clip comparing Trump to fictional handmade tales. Back on June 26th, just a little while ago, 
He said the following, We are not a few steps from Handmaid's Tale. I don't think this kind of fear-mongling helps everybody. I see the parallels in every episode, but we're hundreds of not thousands of steps away. They've been checkpoints on roads and border areas for decades. I was so frustrated by the long lines at custom yesterday when traveling by the way U.S. and Canada, but it's not Handmaid's Tale. Perhaps if people in prominent positions didn't say we're a few steps from Handmaid's Tale, there wouldn't be quite so much fear. That's partly my point. I'd love your recommendations on what is comfortable. I cover media. I've been working on CNN documentary about Trump and TV. I interviewed one of the Handmaid Tales producers for the doc, and I talked to TV critics about this broader issue. I don't think it's an option to point out that America's not Gilead, nor is it close. One month later, he does a segment on Handmaid's Tale where we're similar to Gilead. Remember, I've researched these people. This guy used to do a podcast like me about Fox News and how horrible they were to America, and that's how he got his gig at CNN. There's no way in hell I'll ever get a gig on the mainstream media, bashing the mainstream media, but he did. Because he was really good at bashing Fox. And that's all they care about on CNN, because the fact of the matter is they get their asses handed to them by CNN and MSNBC anytime, so maybe they think people will turn in and watch. But this conspiracy theory shit, under Obama, oh my God, you're un-American. Under Trump, the mainstream media is part of it. And then, we, we got this favorite of the week soundbite. This is my favorite of the week. Coming from Katie Turr, a person who let Keith Oberman put his penis in her. started. It feels like we're, we're arguing apples versus oranges. Yeah, Katie, and there's but there's a whole amen chorus out there that is arguing Donald Trump. And that's, that's what's fueling this. It isn't just Trump and his tweets. It's Fox News. It's the Daily Caller website. There's a whole cadre of jerks who are essentially making Don't this argument. That they're, not, they're not journalists if they're doing that. That's a great point because the facts, as you just laid out very compellingly, um, uh, don't, don't comport with this at all. And absolutely, the investigation started uh, because... Don't call them journalists. I don't remember the last time you were a journalist. From week one of covering Trump, your bias is quite evident before he even said anything about you. You were antagonistic. You were fucking dogging him. You were touting Hillary and her policies. But he's... But they are not journalists, the Daily Caller. I've read articles on the Daily Caller that are super right-wing, and I've read articles that are straight-up news. I've never seen anything on MSNBC for a very long time that I could call straight news. You've had... Fucking anchors read the Bible to bash Christians. And every night, from Chris Matthews to Lawrence O'Donnell, it is far left. Over on Fox, you just got Hannity. Hannity, who's criticized for talking to the president, having meetings with the president, emailing the president. Remember, Morning Joe used to read Obama flax in the administration emails on air. Mika and Joe did events for them. So when Sean Hannity does an event for Donald Trump, you come talk to me about how fucked up Fox is. Jesus Christ. Then James Toronto turns us on the New York Times. 
Here's an example of how antagonism towards Trump produces atrocious journalism. Times news story lead begins, President Trump claims without evidence. In fact, there is evidence, namely the FISA warrants, which was released in response to FOIA requests from the Times. When today's story says without evidence, what it means is that the reporter disagree with the president's interpretation of the evidence. Perhaps the reporters have the better of the argument, though I tend to think it's not the place for a news reporter to be making such an argument. But without evidence signals that they have prejudged the case, that they're not approaching the question honestly. Even if the story is solid, the lead taints it. I didn't read on. What he, what's even worse is that former New York Times public editor and current Washington Post columnist Margaret Sullivan saw no problem with the article. She tweeted, this New York Times headline and story framing seems about right to me. Without evidence, Trump claims vindication for the release of Carter Page documents. But that's fucking WAPO. Then you have the politics portion of the New York Times. In the help it provides the Trump campaign, the tabloid publisher America Media Incorporated may have crossed the line into politics. The entire world went batshit crazy on them saying, well, you did that a long, long time ago. A long time ago you went into politics. I don't remember the last time an editorial board, in fact, I do know, not in my lifetime has the editorial board of the New York Times ever picked a conservative. It's never happened. It was Kerry, it was Obama, it was Obama, it was Hillary. They could put a fucking transgender, fucking African-American handicapped tick as the presidential nomination in 2020, they will say why that person, though not perfect, because they're so small and they can't speak because they're a fucking tick, is the next president of the United States. We support them. To one of my favorite touchstones, Washington Post Blackstone, who is, I stopped watching around the horn because of this idiot, tries to link Trump with past racist remarks by pro-athletes. Yeah. In the past week, Joss Handler, an all-star pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, joined a dubious list. He, Buffalo's Bills rookie quarterback Joss Allen, and Milwaukee Bucks rookie Dante DiVincenzo, DiVincenzo, sorry, have all been exposed for racist social media posts they posted a few years ago when they were teenagers. Blackie Stone, an African-American sports writer for the Washington Post, a panelist for Around the Horn on ESPN, did some literary jiu-jitsu in an attempt to tie Trump to these three pro athletes and their racist remarks. Blackie Stone starts out by writing, on the, on the second seismic night almost six years ago now, when President Obama was reelected, a number of digital outlets noted an eruption of tweets maligning the president, the son of a black Kenyan man for his race. The count of the most vile of racial epitaphs and the most nauseating of racist imagery. Many of those tweets, he writes, were posted by high school athletes who used their actual names. It all raised among myriad questions the roles of schools and even their athletic teams in teaching tolerance in the present with the hope of extinguishing hate in the future. 
Hater who pitched last week's baseball all-star game was a serial hate tweeter as a star athlete at Old Mill High School in suburban Baltimore and Arundel County, he wrote. Like Allen and DiVincenzo before him, Hater apologized in his past indiscretions, earned him a seat in sensitivity training class. Trump, who was not in office with these athletes as a teen, went off the rails and their social media unbelievably gets tied to the story by Blackie Stone. It also can't be ignored that this country has a president who has turned his Twitter account into a truncheon to attack people of color, immigrants, and women with unchecked impunity that has emboldened others, including youth, to do the same. Am I surprised by that? No. No. I'm not surprised at all. Everything's retroactive. That's what we live in now. If you can somehow tie it in, you do it. And you know because of the fucking rabidness and this ins- the cessational hunger by the fucking resistance and the left for anything anti-Trump, if you put Trump in your article, it's going to improve the clickbaiting. So you do it. Not a lot of ESPN lately because I don't watch during the summer, but football season started and I'm sure I'll have another segment every week about the politics because it's coming. Especially with the anthem shit, which I don't even know where we're at now. I haven't been on freaking Bleacher Report in a while. I have the phone app, and every once in a while when I do my daily constitution, I used to read it, but I haven't been. But once the season starts, I am sure Trump, whites are horrible, something's going to be in there, and I'll, I'll report it. Then Vox, who's now doxing, and I'm just going to do this briefly so we can move on to stats for the day. CRTV did a faux interview with Ocasio-Cortez. They, on the left, are so upset about it because it's not fair to do that. And the entire world asked, do you not watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert? But my favorite was this. Someday you're going to hear about The Daily Show and it's going to blow your mind. Breaking George Bush did not actually debate himself in 2004. This is a fraud perpetrated by John Stewart, an unsuspecting public. They used to do that all the time, and it was okay. But now, conservative-leaning people or comics do it, and we have a fucking problem with it. Hmm. So we'll close out with the media mash, which is MSDNC and NBC... Just showing their angst with stupid statements. And then I'll just roll straight in to our Bias 101. CNN. I'm not even going to set it up. This is the new thing. My daughter used this on me. Gaslighting. The far left loves, oh, you're gaslighting me. You're just gaslighting me. When they can't call you a racist, they use gaslighting. So this is a real show, Anderson Cooper, gaslighting segment number 10. Literally, that, that's what it fucking said. With a guy that used to be a straight-up, objective dude that I used to really respect, who's now turned into what his CNN contract requires of him, and that is utter violence. So these two, these two sound bites roll right into Stats of the Day. Oh, and by the way, we're going to start our stats of a day after you hear the bumper with a really good soundbite.
Well, and you, of course, I think we all have this image of the border based on the news reporting we see. Uh, you actually went down there and saw a different story than the sort of outrageous things we hear every day on the news. It, it really is unbelievable to me to hear about how people, particularly the president, talk about what is going on down on the border as if it is just the most lawless, crazy area you've ever been to. It's some of the most wonderful people I've ever met uh, in my entire life. Some of the safest cities in America are along the southern border. The idea that drugs are flowing in where there's no walls is factually incorrect. If the president took some time to read his own DEA reports, he would know that violence is not flowing across the border. He would know that drugs are coming in through legal ports of entry, and he would know that MS-13 is a tiny, 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 tiny percent of the people that come through. And the policy, I mean, basically they make policies that rip children away from their families and are truly ripping apart the fabric of society based on a nonsense. You know, in biotechnology, there's a notion of having a virus that can go in and rip apart DNA of something and change the entire genome of an organism. It's as if Donald Trump has been a weaponized virus, weaponized over the years by Vladimir Putin to go in and do Putin's bidding, to change the genetic code of NATO or the Republican Party of the United States, of democracy. And it is astonishing how he has become such an effective and uh, destructive virus created by Vladimir Putin. And, and David, I mean, obviously, look, President Trump won't be president forever. He'll be a one-term or two-term president. But these kind of things, these kind of ideas uh, that you can't and shouldn't trust institutions or the press, I mean, they, they can do damage that lasts for years beyond a Trump presidency. Uh, absolutely. And when you actually then control the courts, too, in terms of the judges, and, they can, and you appoint judges on a partisan basis, you're going to build into the system uh, a series of uh, uh, practices and traditions that are so antithetical to the American experience. And again, uh, could really seriously undermine our democracy. The health of a democracy depends upon people, citizens actively engage in trying to protect, protect the best of it. And here we've got a president who's ripping it up. He's not, it's not that things he's doing on this, in this area are so illegal. It is that they erode the kind of standards and beliefs and values we have as a people and drive us more and more into a polarized, cynical society. It's also, Gloria, I mean, as you said, it's, none of it is, is something which doesn't serve his interest, but in fact serves the interest of the United States of America. It's all stuff that, ju he, that just serves his interests. Mm. Absolutely. And, and look, Donald Trump ran for president running against institutions. And he, he campaigned against every institution we know. And as president, he has governed against every institution we know. Uh, he criticizes his own government, his own Justice Department, because it doesn't serve him. He criticizes Congress, because very often it doesn't serve him. He criticizes the fourth estate, the media, because very often it doesn't serve him. It is all about what serves him. I mean, he's not somebody who will go out there and do something because it will serve the greater interest of the American people, although he will say... Thank you.
explode. Which, by the way, I hope Democrats do run a Democratic Socialist. You hope that we win? Do you win? Do you uh, win the Democrats no, because I think you'll lose spectacularly, and then I will look forward to election night when I finally get to tell everybody I told you so. If you end up running a radical problem with socialism, in the words of Margaret Thatcher, at a certain point you run out of spending other people's money. Venezuela, one of the richest countries in the world in the 70s. Now, the average Venezuelan has lost 24 pounds because they're starving to death. 90% of the country is living in poverty. I think she's talking more about Scandinavia than Venezuela. I, but I'm sorry. I need. This is what I need from her. Name one country that socialism has ever worked, and also every every democratic socialist Copenhagen. who is going um, on TV saying that it's good needs Norway. to start paying 90% in taxes on your tax form. No, on your tax form. On your tax form, I think you should start paying the amount of taxes that every socialist in this country thinks you need to. Because if you think the government is so good at spending okay. money, look at the Vietnam. Oh, no, no, what about it is dangerous. I'm it's just dangerous. dangerous. It's yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Being normalized. All right. What about go ahead. Okay. So you're saying you run out of people's money, Margaret Thatcher. I okay. say that. She's they have just given this enormous tax break to the very, very wealthy in this country. Mm -hmm. That that tax break doesn't have to be so generous to those really rich people, does it? Because if you don't give that money to them, what happens to that money? Better schools, I better think, post office, I'm sorry, better Medicare. office pickup, better government is so good at running things, then the post offices are Listen, great run business. One more the VA, I'm sorry, comparing the United States of America to a small country in Europe Can is I delusional. And I'm sorry, some of us do not want socialism to be normalized okay. I am an example. That is, of course, the view and McCain going off about the basically making socialism okay. That that's what the left's doing. They're making it appealing to younger generations. And the AP reports democratic socialism surging in the age of Trump. It's it's Trump's fault that they have gone to socialism. I want to just say, I'm not going to read the fucking article, because it's a long article, and it just breaks down how the left's getting into it. Um, they say 42 candidates have been endorsed by the DSA. That's all I'll say. It's a huge thing. This has nothing to do with Trump. This has to do with Obama, Warren, Hillary. All you have to do, if you want to win this argument as a conservative, is say the following phrase. You didn't build that. Nike, you didn't build that. We built the roads that got you there. We built this. We built the railways. Secondly, the safety hammock under Obama. Free phones, free cheese, free everything. Free college. You should have to pay for that college debt. I mean, you chose to go to college, but you shouldn't be burdened with that bill that came with the college. That, that ain't fair. We'll pay for it. It's their plan. As conservatives, we'll have their plan that we are going to make sure that businesses get tax cuts so they employ more people, and our fear is going to be the, the hammer. You are going to worry about X. Terrorists, um, the next boogeyman we're going to fucking have. You know about them. Because if we're not here, you're going to fucking die. The left uses cradle to grave, we're going to take care of you. 
Because if I'm taking care of you and I'm giving you the free, well, you're going to vote for me. That's where we're going to be. Plus, it's part of the ideology. They don't believe in capitalism. They don't like capitalism. They want to have everybody, you know, if we help everybody, all fucking boats will rise. Bullshit Obama used to always say. I just fucked that up. But you know what I'm saying. That's what they believe. Everybody should have a house. Everybody should be able to buy a house. I mean, if you really research back like we have on this podcast, for those who haven't listened to the early episodes of the lesser quality, but it was serious shit. Who the fuck did Freddie May? Who did it? Liberals. They said it was racist if you didn't open up housing to everybody. So we let people with the inability to pay for it buy houses that fucked up the housing market. It wasn't conservatives doing that. This is what they want. Everybody gets everything. You don't have to work for it. Just vote for it. That's the concept. Then we move on to a total shock from the free beacon, Stephen Gutowski. A panel of judges from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled on Tuesday that Hawaii's effective ban on open carry of guns is unconstitutional. In a two-to-one ruling, the court found that the Second Amendment protects the right to openly carry a firearm in public for the purpose of self-defense. The most interesting part about this, it's the same Ninth Circuit that wanted to ban everything Trump's ever done. And more importantly, there have been no applications for carry in Hawaii. None. Zero. One tweeter said, did hell freeze over? And it appears it has. To another one of my favorite punching bags, Claire McCaskill Business tied to U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill's husband have been awarded more than $131 million in federal subsidies since the Missouri Democrat took office in 2007. An analyst by Casey Starr has found. That came from Lindsay Wise. Huh. I bet if she was a conservative, that would be mainstream. Interesting. Cable companies probably don't want to hear this. Cord cutting keeps churning. U.S. pay TV cancelers to hit 33 million in 2018. We are really close. With the Roku, we could get ABC, NBC, and CBS, or most of the shows on Hulu, and then buy on Amazon channels for about nine bucks a month. I figured it out once. I pay about a hundred dollars a month for DirecTV. I could probably pay about 80 bucks a month. If I got everything I wanted, ESPN, Bravo, yada, yada, by just buying channels. Because Hulu would back us up with pretty much everything we watch. And then Netflix and Amazon. This one's kind of disturbing. It was not well titled, Record 207 Environmental Activists Killed Last Year. Before you shit in your pants. No, that wasn't America. Brazil's the worst. And the Philippines. Brazil had 57 and 48. These are people that are actually trying to block things. And they're getting slammed. Or killed, excuse me. New Gallup poll. Americans did not even mention global warming as a problem. 36 problems cited. But climate wasn't one. (laughs) 
It was a liberal-leading poll, too. 39% Democrat. Snope throws false flag at Daily Wire for a true story on registering illegal aliens to vote. They literally said it was false, yet the article is true. Because once again, it came from a conservative source. I put that in the stats because I don't use Snopes. Snopes, just like factcheck.org, are liberal organizations. And lastly, and sadly, kind of seems funny that I'm doing that nobody thinks about the climate and I do this article. Wave after wave of garbage hits the Dominican Republic. The pictures that I saw are fucking horrendous. Their beaches are strewn with just garbage. Now, before the moon bats out there say, that's because of America and we suck. No, it's their own garbage coming out of the rivers, going out in the ocean, and having the waves bring it back to them. It is toxic. You would never swim here. And that's pretty sad. I have reported on the show numerous times about the big blob a mile or so. I don't know what it was last time. I want to say it was like a mile and a half of just garbage out in the middle of the ocean floating. That's pretty fucking sick. So, you know, I may not be a climate change support, you know, huge proponent. I, I'm not a denier. I'm just not going to go out there and chain myself to a fucking tree. It's just not that fired up. Um, but when I go in, everything comes out with me. I, I don't leave trash. That was an infantry truism that you did so the enemy didn't know who you were. But I, I just don't understand why people throw shit in rivers and lakes it's supposed to be the place we go to see beauty. So, to our last music break, and then we're going to go news and social media nuggets. I didn't preface the last one, so let me do this right. Everybody's doing Christmas in July, so I figure, what the fuck? So, let's listen to some Nat King Cole. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight they know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child is gonna spy to see if reindeer really know how to fly. And so I'm offering this simple phrase To kids from one to ninety-two 
Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas to Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Yeah, he's in the military now. Military Corner, I had to play a little bit of that old bumper I used to use. I love that one. Kind of going off the last conversations we had in the last podcast, just how political can and should service members get. This comes from Task and Purpose. There's an old saying about opinions. This family-friendly reporter cannot repeat it, but the punchline is everyone had got one. That's especially true when it comes to politics. Partisanship and political rancor in the United States are now as ubiquitous as propaganda in North Korea. You can never tune them out. You can only try to turn down the volume. Given the political climate, it may be tempting for service members to join the national food fight, but it's worth remembering that the U.S. military prides itself on the appearance of being fiercely apolitical. Years ago, your naive correspondent learned that merely asking troops jokingly if they were in favor of a military coup was considered subordinating treason, something court-martials generally frown upon. Service members are barred from taking part in a variety of political activities to avoid create the appearance that, in doing so, they are espousing the Defense Department's official position, said Air Force Major Carla Gleason, a Pentagon spokesman. For example, troops cannot campaign for candidates, attend partisan events in uniform, even though Reichek can, and nobody cared during Kerry. Yeah. Or suggest that other service members follow a political party or candidate on social media, she said. Active duty service members may not post or make direct links to political party, partisan political candidates, campaign, group, or cause 
because such activity is equivalent of distributing literature on behalf of those entities or individual. Gleason said barracks lawyers may be crying foul right now, so task of purpose turned to a real lawyer to find out if troops could face administrative or disciplinary action for being overtly political. An American can tweet, the president is a fucking idiot and not go to jail, wrote retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Rachel Van, uh, Van Langingham. In a recent article, yet if a U.S. soldier does the same, they're committing a federal crime. The UCMJ gives commanders huge leeway to punish subordinates for what they say and tweet on vaguely legal pretenses, such as Article 134 Service Discrediting Clause, clause, said Van Lanningham, a former military attorney who now teaches at Southwestern Law School in Los Angeles. Military members are not required to be apolitical from far from it. Those who encourage such an apolitical stance fundamentally misunderstand what our founding fathers embedded into the Constitution. We the people have the right to know how those in uniform think. If service members' speech reflects poorly on the military, so be it. However, it may set a bad example when military leaders, both retired and active duty, express their political opinions, whether openly to the news media or anonymously on social media, said retired Army Colonel Stephen Leonard. And I'm not going to go through the rest of the article, because that female who lives in California is butt-blind, stupid, fucking retarded. No, you can't! They are supposed to be apolitical. NCOs and officers are supposed to crush that shit, because you're not supposed to be politicking from your social media or anything, you're a soldier. You serve at the pleasure of whoever the fuck is in charge. But as we'll see in our next article, it seems only to apply to males and white ones, I guess, because Arnie is investigating an officer for publicly protesting the U.S. government's war machine. Brittany DeBarros is waging that kind of vehement public protest via Twitter against DOD and U.S. government that commonplace in the Trump era. Except that DeBarros is a captain in the U.S. Army Reserve assigned to the Army PSYOPs Command. According to Barros' Twitter account, she has been called up on two-week assignment since July 14th, but each day since the DeBarros has posted tweets criticizing the horror being carried out by the war machine for profit. At the, US, the current rate, the U.S. drops a bomb every 12 minutes, is one of her tweets. I'm an army. I'm on army orders for the next 14 days. There's not much I can do about that. What I can do is schedule daily posts in my absence with facts about the horror being carried out by the war machine for profit. Please retweet. Day one, drop the mic. GI resistance. The Department of Defense is the largest oil consumer worldwide. Debaros notes in one tweet, the violence unleashed directly is horrific, but it also has massive spillover impacts. Day five, when I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2012, I was shocked by how many people received responded wait didn't we leave afghanistan today awareness still abysmal violence still climbing do their lives matter to you other tweets for those of you who thought that 681 billion military budget was going to support the troops or that these wars are to make you safer defense corporations made a contributions to 496 of the 525 congressional members in 2018 which means Democrats got it too. DeBarro said in her most recent tweet posted on July 20th, the seventh day of her assignment, defense contractors are profit, prolific political donors. Though many of their contributions come from their political action committees, owners, employees, or employee immediate family, DeBarro's, however, stopped 
stopped short of directly criticizing Trump during her July protest, using contemptuous words against the president as a violation of military law. During the speech she gave uh, June 23rd at the Poor People's Campaign Rally, DeMarro said she was a combat veteran who identified as a woman, Latina, white, black, and queer. She's just everything. Existing at the intersection of these identities, I carry a grave conviction in my core that there can be no true economic, racial, gender liberation without addressing the militarism that has strangled the morality and empathy out of our society. And I can read no more of this ballyhoo! You didn't have a problem when you got free college out of it, did it, you fucking piece of shit? Per the norm, the left is all over her shit. Nobody seems to care. But as I always say on this podcast, let a white, bald E8 get out on Twitter and say something negative about Barack Hussein Obama. He's going to get chaptered out of the army. We only tolerate this kind of stuff when they have a special qualification that we're scared if we do it, they'll call us racist, sexist, uh, homophobic, transphobic. I don't know what the fuck else she claimed she was. She's just all sorts of shit. Which brings us to a big story. Well, I wanted to put it in there. This is the left, once again, because they know nothing about the military. As we learned on the show, we had a resistance member on here in an interview. She never met a military member. She knows nothing about the military. And somehow, some way, they are totally confused that the VFW is still soldiers. Granted, soldiers can be members of the VFW, but the majority of the VFW is a bunch of old fucks like me who just want to do Bruce Springsteen glory days and stand up and salute each other and give reports and act like we're still in the military. That's why I don't do it anymore. It's kind of weird. While addressing the VFW convention today in Kansas City, President Trump once again ruffled the media's feather when he called them out as fake news. But this time, there was a twist as the gathered veterans joined in and booed them. Philip Rucker, blue check journalist. Stick with us. Don't believe the crap you see from these people, the fake news, Trump says at a VFW convention. Scores of veterans right on cue from the commander-in-chief point to the press riser and boo and hiss. Vera Banderugan, just remember what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening, Trump said to VFW. BuzzFeed's Vera Banderugan called it unsettling. Just stick with us. Don't believe the crap you see from these people, the fake news. Trump, the commander-in-chief, points to the press in the back. Veterans boo, jeer and applaud. Unsettling. WAPO's Philip Rucker again reports that the sentiment wasn't unanimous, however. Not all VFW hate the fake news. One vet just came up to me after Trump's speech to shake my hand, thank me for reporting, and whispered, I have one question. How do you put up with this bullshit every day? And we're pretty sure those in the room weren't booing Wall Street Journal's reporter and Marine Corps veteran Ben Keesling. Ben Keesling, VFW convention attendees now booing the media. This morning I attended a House VA committee hearing an order to make sure VA officials answered my questions about the claim repeal process and complaints that it's serving vets poorly. Somehow that's Trump's fault? Is that what you're inferring, Mr. Keesling? Listen! As much as you may hate it, veterans are more conservative than they are liberal. It's just a fact. Once again, we've talked about it, it, because usually we get raises, for Christ's sake. Obama didn't give a goddamn... He gave one raise in eight years, because he wanted the money for everything else, and he gutted the DOD budget and gutted the military. 
which will have effects for a long time. That's what we do every time a Democrat's in office. Gut the military, downsize, we're not going to do any more wars, we're going to go and tell everybody we're so sorry, we're a piece of shit, America sucks. And then something bad happens, we vote in a conservative, and they got to build the shit back up again. But of course they booed you. It's more than just Trump's words. We don't like you. You don't report about us. We report about Abu Ghraib and fucking infinite amount of articles in the New York Times above the fold for fucking 100 days. You don't ever write about guys who got the Congressional Medal of Honor, people that died, families that are affected by the death of their loved ones. You don't seem to ever find print space for that. And in line with this, here comes Code Pink again. Holy shit, Code Pink. Their tweet, Donald Trump plans to beat the drums of war down the street of our nation's capital while he tries to show how macho and strong he is. We will show him the big baby he is. Help us bring the baby Trump lip here. They got 10000 of their $20,000 to protest the military again. And I just got to say it, Obama expanded the wars during his time. He did bring people home from Iraq, and that turned into ISIS vacuum. He did all sorts of nuking in Pakistan. I never saw Code Pink protesting. I never saw it. Hmm. Then there's this nugget. Air Force Base replaces Bible with generic book of faith. Blank pages to represent those who find solace by other means. Really? An article I want to direct you to, I won't read today. A Medal of Honor recipient describes how he was saved by a tiger and a sawed-off shotgun. He just got it for fighting in the A-Shaw Valley. Look it up on Task of Purpose. Fantastic article. This guy was um, part of SOG, and he was a bad man. Remember the Army's hellish search for a new sidearm with a commemorative M17? Well, you can own one. The P320 M17 by Six Hour. 5,000 copies are put out. You, my friend, could buy one. I'd like to buy one, but my wife's probably not going to let me buy one. To our college crazy. UC Berkeley studies, excuse excuse me, students outraged by on-campus bank ties to, wait for it, ICE. An editorial in UC Berkeley student newspaper calls on the school to cancel a 10-year contract with its on-campus bank because the bank's parent company has vested in private prisons with ties to ICE. BNP Paribas, a French bank that owns Bank of the West, has agreed to conduct an internal review of its investments after university officials relayed the concerns expressed by the students. Oh my God, my money is defiled by these pieces of shit. Got it. Yale Law Professor shows why these kids are so crazy. Encourages people to hide immigrants from ICE. Yes, he did. This is like the 20th guy we talked about. We hide immigrants from ICE if we have to, insisting that this would only constitute civil disobedience, not aiding and abetting. Greg Gonzalez is more than willing to disclose the location of ICE employees, however, encouraging others to release their home addresses and saying he would have no qualms about showing up at those homes himself. We hide immigrants from ICE. We have to figure out how to get women access to reproductive health services. We unionize despite Janice. Yes. 
Uh, U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement is supporting illegal immigration. I'm, su- I'm such a bad person. I have no qualms about showing up at ICE Regional Director's home. They can leave their jobs at the office and feel free from scrutiny for the home. ICE is raiding restaurants, setting up roadblocks in New England, getting on buses to check for foreigners. We've unleashed some evil in the United States. Let the pundits debate who's winning the day as immigrants get rounded up. The rest of us have to fight. By these kids, though they're surrounded by fucking lefties that hate America. What can you do? One of his last tweets. Oh, and by the way, I have criticized policies of Democrats and Republican presidents since Reagan, including Clinton and Obama. I take a nonpartisan approach to the world bad policies or bad policies, no matter who promotes them. Yet there was never an article about him saying we need to protest Barack Obama's brutal treatment of kids in the holding cells. That was way more than a Trump. Never heard it. Then another professor strokes up these idiot fucking sheeple. Professor, Trump's immigration policy goal is to inflate the body count. Yeah, inflate the body count. A Brooklyn College professor who specializes in constitutional right claims that President Trump's immigration policy is about inflating body count stats and that any brown person will do. Professor Ann Law frequently accuses Trump and others who favor enforcing immigration laws of being racist and white supremacists, and also likes to complain about the difficulty of teaching political science in the Trump era because she's too busy protesting to do her fucking job. Yeah. Yeah. Her tweet on that is, It was difficult to teach intro to American government in the middle of the Trump era. But you know what? I feel like me being in the classroom teaching critical thinking, writing, evaluation of evidence, history is one of the most patriotic and political things I can do right now. And that second part is what's wrong with our colleges right now. Political. Supposed to be teaching the class, not your version of history. Activists demand more social justice in medieval studies. Because you know knights back then, when they were jousting, it was racist for a white knight to hit the other knight on a black horse. I don't know where that comes from. That's just fucking crazy. New York City College offers course on the fall of masculinity. Eugene Lang College in New York City is offering a course next spring on the crisis faced by white masculinity in the years since the end of World War II. According to the course description, popular representations of masculinity increase focus on melancholia because post-war masculinity has failed to interrogate and re- reimagine itself along with other social justice movements. This is a tenured professor just making some shit up. Then, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs is no longer offering a course that critiques individualism, consumerism, meritocracy, and productivity as staple of white culture. The three-credit witnessing whiteness course is still listed on the website, but you won't get credit for witnessing whiteness. Is that when white kids just go in a room and look at each other? Then there's this one, school newspaper hiring social justice reporter. The University of Wisconsin La Crosse, the Raquette is the name of the paper, is looking to hire a diversity, inclusion, and social justice reporter, offering $24 per week plus $12 per each article. The emphasis on covering social justice issues appears consistent with the paper's overall editorial slant, which manifests most visibly in the reliably left-leaning op-eds that it publishes. And that's our college Crazy to the other crazy to get where this is coming from. Our PR two last week released the results of a poll 
asking if increased racial diversity has a positive or negative effect on America. For what it's worth, they titled the report, American Democracy in Crisis, The Challenges of Voter Knowledge, Participation, and Polarization. Pollster Frank Luntz posted that 64% of all Americans agree that racial diversity has a positive impact on America. However, only 43% of Republicans said positive and opposed 85% of the Democrats. The inspired, this inspired Vox's David Roberts to go for the money shot. Here it is in a nutshell. One thing that white people have never experienced is a poll on whether their presence in their own country is intrinsically detrimental. So let's do a poll. Do white people have a positive or a negative effect on America? I think his shit was hacked because 80% of America said, which was like 30,000 votes, that we have a positive impact. That probably hurt his feelings. And I'm sure, as I always say on the show, some liberals said positive because they're the ones leading all the fucking party till you can drop protests. Here's a good op-ed. This came from Mississippi. Teach children how to get jobs, not to be social justice warriors. And we're going to read this one, and it goes a little something like this. Over the past year, school leaders in Oxford, Mississippi, the small town an hour south of Memphis, where I live, have been thinking hard about the future of work and education and how to best prepare young people for ever-changing marketplace and world. They're worried about such things because parents in our town are worried about such things. Really worried. We're asking tough questions. How do we best deploy our hard-earned tax dollars to train our kids for the 21st century workplace? What skills are required? And what character traits? Traits like grit, inquisitiveness, cooperation. Are we cultivating too? And all the while teaching what will always matter, reading, writing, and critical thinking and teaching our nation's history, the foundation things that have made and still make this country a beacon of hope for people around the world. Prominent progressive academics at the college in town, the University of Mississippi, have their own idea about what the future of K-12 education should look like. They want to prepare students for a life of political activism and social change. They want to turn our local public schools into mini versions of themselves, mini old misses. For the moment, our education leaders are listening to the parents of town and on our prat- and end our practical concerns. They're also resisting the social justice warriors on campus and their ideological conceits. Parents and educators alike agree that for too long our public schools have been preparing students, assembly line style, for a bygone industrial area. We're working to disrupt that model. On our school system's website, a bold mission was recently revealed. The stated goal, prepare students for a dynamic, technologically connected, and service-oriented workplace with civic responsibilities spanning local and global perspectives. It was music to the ears of most parents who financed the local schools with our property taxes. But it set off Professor J.T. Thomas and progressives like him at Ole Miss. In a recent editorial in the town paper, sociological... Sociology professor Thomas let adults in town know his objectives. Public education is not and should not be workforce training, he declared. Ironic given that his salary is paid for by the workforce around him. Public education should give students a common understanding and toolkit from which to engage the world as ethical citizens with responsibility to each other and to the common man, he declared. Toolkit? To engage the worlds? Huh? Thomas wasn't talking about real-life toolkits that a carpenter or mechanic might use or anything approaching vocational training for where 
which there is a desperate need in America. There are millions of good jobs chasing too few skilled workers, but apparently our public schools should train up students to be the next generation of community organizers and social justice warriors. What's Professor Thomas's toolkit filled with? Read his columns, you'll know. A dab of social justice training and some wealth redistribution, anti-capitalist literature. Add to that a healthy measure of modern socialist scholarship that academia pours out in abundance. And a dose of white privilege, trigger warning, and safe spaces to the social sugar, socialist sugar go down a bit easier. Among the most pressing problems facing the world today are climate change, widespread and growing inequity between the rich and everyone else, and the rise of popular authoritarianism, he continues. Really? Getting a good job is a pressing problem for students and their parents? Finding a wife or husband? Starting a family and a home? And a life? How about keeping America safe at home and abroad? Or keeping the American economy firing on all cylinders? What about creating a more hospitable atmosphere for Americans to start their own businesses and own a piece of the American dream? And creating jobs in a community and a tax base, too. That's a social justice program lots of us can rally behind, and it won't cost us a dime. And what about building some wealth of our own in our 401ks by owning stock in the corporate corporations progressives seem to so, to so dislike? Global warming and inequality may be a top two issues on the professor's list, but according to the Pew Research, neither global warming nor inequity showed up in the top 15 issues for voters in the 2016 election. Moreover, the mention of authoritarianism in the professor's column was a not-so-vague slam aimed at Trump and the people who voted for him, and lots did in the home state. What too many progressives don't seem to understand is a simple truth. Giving more power and control over our lives and our money to a centralized power is actually the path to greater authoritarianism. Conservatives by its na- conservatism by its nature is anti-authoritarian because it believes in the dispersal of power. The election in 2016 was in part about just such matters. The gap between what the elites think and those who disagree as the battle over what to teach and how to reign and how rages on in K-12 schools across the country. The battle in Oxford is worth contemplating. One side is trying to prepare young adults for meaningful work and self-sufficient lives. That's what most parents wish for. And we're doing our best to leave political ideology ideology at the schoolhouse door. It goes on, but I just thought that was gripping. Because I do believe even here in Tennessee... Teachers believe PCism is so important, they forget. Just get these kids prepared to go out in their life. Give them glimpses into everything, and then they choose their own decision. I want to say the Oregon schools were like that in the 80s, because I graduated in 85. But then I remember going through history and having... World War II vets, Korea vets, Vietnam vets talked to us. Then they brought the war protesters in. And they had three of those to counter the three of the other ones. And all they did was tell us to fucking learn how to be conscientious objector. That was the whole poor purpose. And I looked up and thought, what does that got to do with history? But, okay. To our last podcast on Thabies, MSDNC ran two stories on it this week. And NBC Nightly News ran another one. So I guess that's a cool thing for them. Slate... Presence of Christian player on U.S. lesbian women's soccer team is poisonous. Oh, let's get into this one. 
An intolerant media voice is urging the rainbow theme LGBT dominant U.S. national women's lesbian soccer team to give the boot to a new Christian player. Christina CotterXSlate.com headline spares no mercy for the poison Christian bigot Jalene Hinkle encouraging the team to kick her off. The U.S. national team's lesbian team is preparing their friendly tournament of nations, but Katakarik couldn't be more unfriendly to Hinkle. The lesbian team is coached by a married lesbian, Jill Ellis. The face of the national team in recent years has been lesbian Megan Rapino and Abby Wadman. The team's lesbian orthodoxy is further enforced by rainbow-themed uniform numbers that make Hinkle an undesired heretic to hostile media and fans. In 2015, when the U.S. Supreme Court Overfield versus Hodges decision legalized same-sex marriage, Hingle Twinket tweeted, "Sorry, the world is falling farther and farther away from God. All that can be done by believers is continue and pray." That is somehow caustic. Okay. On Instagram post, Hinkle posted an image that turned the human rights campaign red equality symbol into a cross with the message, the rainbow was a covenant made between God and all his creation, that never again would the world be flooded as it was when he destroyed the world during Noah's time. It's a constant reminder that no matter how corrupt this world becomes, he will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Lord, for your great, amazing grace, even during times of trial and confusion. Doesn't sound too extreme to me. Hinkle declined an invitation to join the team three years ago, explained the 700 Club that she knew in her spirit that she was doing the right thing by being obedient to God. Catterick didn't want Hinkle, photographed to the right, on the team, but played in both ways, hypocritic, hypocritically accusing her of letting down the national team by refusing to play and accusing her of insulting gay and queer women, some of whom are the sport's best players and most devoted fans. But a few years ago, Coach Ellis added Hinkle to the team, stirring up the LGBT smear machine anew. Cotterick wrote, if fans and big-name players decide they can't abide Hinkle's anti-gay mission, they need to start speaking out. In accepting her spot on the team, Hinkle tweeted, God is good, honored, excited, really. Cotterick attacked her Christian values, writing that she's, she'll train alongside the lesbian Rapone, one of the star's ESPN recent nude athlete gallery, and possibly many other queer players. Hinkle's addition to the team sent a tacit message to her teammates and the USWNT fans. Players with poisonous views are welcome here, so long as they help them win. Hinkle addition to the team is also a workplace issue in addition to a moral one. Corteric moralizes. The Christian bigot is telling her colleagues that her lives and love repulsed her. And believe it or not, the rainbow theme uniform is not connected to LGBT rights. It was merely a symbol of goodwill Hinkle could have worn to demonstrate her support for her teammates' well-being without making any commentary on their legal rights. That's apparently was too much for her to bear. By allowing Hinkle on the roster, Ellis and U.S. Soccer compromising the unity that is essential for any good team and snubbing a non-insignificant segment of their customer base. The position we as LGBTQ soccer fans are being put in here is to have to choose between two aspects of our identities, our Americanness and our queerness. So basically, you have the problem with the Christian being on a team. Because nothing she's written is anti-gay. She's just a Christian. But that's very common. This is 
how we live in our world. When you don't agree with somebody, you spin up some faux outrage. Their opinion or their Twitter feed about talking about God offends you. So that is a infringement on your rights, right? But you can infringe on every Christian's right, and we're just supposed to shut the fuck up? Okay. Adams! White birth privilege. This one's pretty funny. Lately, I've been hearing a lot about white male privilege. In fact, just this week, a feminist named Lucy got upset with me for using my white male privilege to cry abortion in several of my posts on social media. Specifically, she was concerned that I was trying to use my privilege to control women's body. But Lucy fails to understand that she is also a beneficiary of special privilege. It's called white birth privilege, by which I am specifically referring to the fact that white people are less likely to be aborted and therefore have a greater access to society's legal and political institution. <laughs> Long article, but I thought that was a really good thing. There is an institutional racism in Planned Parenthood. The majority of the babies are African American. So, uh, we won't go back into eugenics, but yeah, the creator was into eugenics. You just don't want to know it. Hulu advertises Trump's Department of Reproductive Control. Here we go. Next level handmaids. The nonprofit Americans for Affordable Birth Control is launching a new campaign that shows what it says the future will look like. If the Trump administration manages to change Title 10, that will cut funding for Planned Parenthood and other family planning organizations. Even though there's not a lot of money going to those other ones, 550 million go to Planned Parenthood. And it's being advertised across the country, including the Hulu, the Department of Reproductive Control. It doesn't exist, but it's what America would look like, according to Amy Runyon Harms of Americans for Affordable Birth Control in an interview with Vice. Vice's July 18 headline advertises the fictional government department, the health agency of our dystopian future. Runyon Harms claimed that President Trump is quietly creating a Department of Reproductive Control intended to remove America's reproductive health choices. The goal of the fictional organization that's supposed to reflect America's future under Trump is to have a reproductive health care system that reflects traditional American values and religious beliefs by requiring Title X funded centers to no longer mention the word abortion no matter what their parents think they want and replace referral for abortion with counseling on parenting and adoption. If a clinic fails to comply, they'll be defunded and likely closed. If this happens, clinics that previously offered breast cancer screenings, prenatal care, and similar services are transitioned out of the new Title X program due to their non-compliance with the new rules. This is just like the previous one. Nobody wants to ban Planned Parenthood for the good work they do. People want to defund Planned Parenthood because, A, they don't need the money because they make $1.5 in profits every year. Take away $500 million, they'll still make $1 billion profit this year. They are a chop shop for baby parts, and they're violating the Hyde Amendment by giving out 776,000 morning-after pills a year, which to Christians and anti-abortion folks is an abortion. Chemical or mechanical, it's still ending the life of a baby. So, make up all your fictional, uh, we want to be handmade tale bullshit. You're not dealing with facts. It's kind of like the gun debate and every other debate we have. Abortion's the, the glaring symbol of liberal stupidity. Don't talk in facts. Don't 
you know, buy the 3% of Planned Parenthood's business is abortion when it makes up most of their money. They don't give mammograms, even though they'll go on TV and lie and say they will, and nobody will ever pressure them back. That institution is an abortion clinic. It's always been an abortion clinic, and abortion is not the women's right to choose. That's a colloquial for, I want to kill my baby because it's an impediment to my life. If Planned Parenthood was such a great organization that was so necessary for the reproductive rights of Americans, that being women, they'd be handing out a lot of birth control and they wouldn't have to do abortions. But they don't do that and they don't do screenings, prenatal care, anything. If you don't get abortion, you get skedaddled out. We've read it on the show. They kick you out. They don't want you there. They just want to kill your baby. This one my wife sent to me. God, I used to watch the show. I actually liked it. But when Trump got elected, this lady lost her fucking mind. Look up in the sky. It's a transgender superhero. Being transgender is a superpower, at least according to Nicole Maines, a transgender activist turned actress starring in Supergirl as the first transgender superhero. Maines is not an actress, but being well known for a lawsuit she won after a school refused to let her use the girls' bathroom. After the lawsuit, she was featured in the HBO documentary, The Trans List, which I tried to watch, couldn't do it. That according to HBO, shines a light on the prominent members of the transgender community. Without the lawsuit and documentary, she would not have grabbed Hollywood's attention and gotten this role. In an interview during Comic-Con, after the announcement, Maines told Variety that she wants fans to take away an understanding of trans people. That we can be anybody. We can be whoever we want to, do whatever we want. That we can be superheroes, because in many ways... We are. Maines believes that being trans should be the main focus of the story, saying that trans characters don't have to be the trans character, except when they do. The marketing campaign sure seems to push the transgender theme. DC is using Maine to get people talking about their superhero franchise instead of Marvel, and Maines is using DC to push their agenda. They're super friends. And if trans is not supposed to be trans, why couldn't Scarlett Johansson play a dude and rub and tug? Hmm. Hmm. We are superheroes. When we decide what gender we want to be, it could be fluid. Or we're not a gender, because we don't know who the fuck we are. Got it. Controversy erupts over sample lawn mowing company business card. They wrote American owned on it, because around their area where they live in North Texas is about a, a bunch of illegal immigrants running lawnmower companies. And it was crazy, and they had to change their card because they were xenophobic. Made in America's okay. American-owned, not like the other guys, is racist. Got it. This woman allegedly faked her daughter's kidnapping. The reason why will leave you scratching her head. Whole elaborate scheme, bought a laptop, put it out in the woods, and it was all because she lost an online physical fitness competition, and her ex pissed her off. So she said he kidnapped her. And it didn't made the media. Nobody talked about it. This one's for my wife and all those heading the beach, which I will be. September 8th will go dark. I'll do a September 6th podcast and not talk to you till the following week. Because I'm going to Pensacola Beach. Get up in my Margaritaville. And don't worry, I won't take my shirt off. So there will be no beach sightings. But we're going to head down to the beach. Want to know where sharks are? Check this new interactive map. You want to know whether you'll need a bigger boat, this new shark map might be for you. 
The largest international ocean cons- conservation and advocacy organization, Oceana, has created a new interactive map with animated shark tracks and commercial fishing activity along the East Coast. To celebrate Shark Week and increase awareness of the threat that sharks face, Oceana partnered with experts Austin Gallagher, chief scientist and CEO of Beneath the Waves, Neil Hammerschlag, research associate professor at the University of Miami Rothen Style School of Marine, and they made this map. The interactive map displays the movements of 45 tag sharks overlaid with commercial fishing activity. And for some reason, we're supposed to not want to have the sharks get fucked up. But I'm pretty cool with sharks getting fucking killed. Because every time they come down near Pensacola, my wife won't go back into the lake. But I'm tuning into it right now. We have it. And I'm waiting for it to come up. <laughs> Bermuda. Well, there's little shark track sucks because I can't really get it going. They're way away from us. I'll put it this way. Shitload of sharks out everywhere else. But not where we are. So, that'll be good. I'm going to zoom in. And shift over. And let's go into the Pensacola Beach area. Lover, best friend of my life. Yeah, there's no sharks at Pensacola Beach. At least none, um, any that are being tracked. (laughs) Funny story. Told the wife there's no sharks there. One day we're down there and a dude pulls in a fucking shark. So it just ruined fucking everything. And our last before our lighter fare... Man arrested for exercising naked at a Planet Fitness in New Hampshire. A man who stripped naked before working out in a New Hampshire gym told police officer that he thought he was in a judgment-free zone. <laughs> before being arrested, 34-year-old Eric Stogno of Haverhill, Massachusetts was charged with indecent exposure, lewdness, and disorderly conduct on Sunday for taking off his clothes and exercising at a Planet Fitness. Police say he walked back and forth and started doing poses on a yoga mat. He allegedly referenced Planet Fitness slogan that is judgment-free. Stogno is free on bail and is scheduled to be arraigned on September 21st in Plainstow District Court. I don't think that's what they meant by judgment-free. I think they meant more like people like me, big fat fuckers getting on a treadmill. Nobody will judge me, but you know they will. Two are lighter fare. This week, we're going to get back to where I was going to go with it. I think I'll start rotating. I forgot to do the uh, learn curse words in Korean last time, and I was supposed to be starting our Ranger Up Bad News Network, and I didn't do that. I've been very consistent on the light affair. Not a whole lot to be lighter about, but we're going to do uh, Ranger Up Bad News Network. 720 was the title of this. I'm sure there'll be another one. Uh, next week, so uh, I did not listen to it, so let's enjoy. Hi, I'm Nick Palmashano, and this is the Bad News Network. This week's news is once again dominated by President Trump, and I have to tell you, it's a dumpster fire that was thrown into a larger dumpster that is also on fire. 
The president agreed to a one-on-one -on -one summit with Vladimir Putin, former KGB operative, most likely richest man in the world, holder of power in Russia for 20 consecutive years, serial murderer of his enemies, and judo black belt, and expected to come on top. He did not. The president delivered a speech that essentially blew off the findings of both the CIA and the FBI and lent credence to Putin's contention that he had nothing to do with election meddling. That speech drew instant criticism from Democrats and Republicans alike, so much so that in a rare instance, President Trump actually backpedaled and held an emergency summit at Congress where he clarified his statements. The moment was reminiscent of President Clinton's question about what the word is, is. To make matters worse, the White House let it be known that President Trump was considering Vladimir Putin's request to question Michael McFowl, the former ambassador to Russia. This led to an almost immediate 98-0 unanimous rebuke from the Senate, essentially saying, Americans do not give up other Americans to dictators. While we're at it, why don't we just let Assad ask the Syrian revolutionaries a couple questions? You know, just to see what's up. Everyone knows that the Russians attempted to meddle with the elections at this point. But what most people don't realize, even though it's been reported even by liberal sites like Mother Jones, is that the Russians meddled with so much more than that. One of the largest Black Lives Matters accounts was actually run entirely by Russians. In fact, when you look across the entire list of accounts that were actually run by Russians, it really had less to do with left and right and a whole lot more to do with finding the extreme positions and boosting the signal on those extreme positions as much as possible to create an incendiary area where Americans started hating each other. The Russian goal isn't President Trump. The Russian goal isn't Michael McFowl. The Russians don't have any particular designs on anything that we do here. What they want is for us to argue and be weak. The goal is division. The goal is an America that doesn't keep its eye on the ball. The goal is an America that has less and less influence in Europe, in the Middle East, in Asia. The goal is for America to become an also-ran and for Vladimir Putin to gain more power across the globe. We cannot possibly continue continue to be this stupid. Look at other Americans as people. I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It is the most hippie place you're ever going to find outside of California. I am a conservative in a sea of liberals. I trained jujitsu at a place that when President Trump was elected, one of the other conservatives in the room shouted out, man, you just swept me the way Trump swept the Midwest. And there were actual tears in the room. And you know what? I love those violent, bleeding heart hippies because they're great Americans and great people. We are more the same than we are different, and we absolutely have to be better. In More the World is on Fire news, Mark Duplass, a popular liberal pundit, recommended to his followers that people follow Ben Shapiro as a means of understanding a conservative point of view, stating that he's met him before and he's actually a very nice guy. Mark then got hammered with insults, attacks, and threats of violence from the fascist liberal horde that decided he had broken the cardinal rule of being nice to someone who disagrees with him. He has since put out a statement apologizing to everyone he offended with his niceness. Moving along to less serious news. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez showed in an interview this week that she has no idea about foreign policy, fiscal policy, and reminded us that America wasn't always capitalist and that one day soon it will not be capitalist again. I too look forward to a time where there's no groceries in the stores, there are no jobs available, our money is worthless, and people are being murdered in the streets. Go socialism. In World Cup news, France won, something they haven't been able to do without U.S. help since 1945. 
In sandwich news, I'm super tired of going to places like Chipotle, and the sandwich maker puts all of the guac in one spot, so I only have a momentary magical moment of guac. You have one job. Come on! Tom Brady was attacked this week after pictures of him shirtless on the beach surfaced, and he looks like he has a regular body. To make matters worse, he cut himself on his five Super Bowl rings while wiping his brow after making out with his supermodel wife on the beach and counting all his money. And finally, five cops were fired this week for making the OK symbol while playing the Made You Look game, because people have claimed that that is now a symbol for white supremacists. Okay. And with that, I'm Nick Palmashano, and this is the Bad News Network. Our news is at least as bad as the news you get everywhere else. Well, that wasn't bad at all. I liked his Russian analogy. It's pretty true. I mean, you're not going to hear about the left that was co-opted because that's not what our media does. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments or suggestions for say, suggestions for segments to foppodcast at gmail.com. Fop podcast gmail.com you can get this show on soundcloud podcast addict tune in radio google play itunes and stitcher remember to check out the flyover politic webpage at foppodcast.com foppodcast.com to see links to feeds for the show links to our facebook page and to email us there you'll also see a link to every episode on the episode release page and my blog which i never blog I really gotta start blogging Next podcast will be 30 July, Year of Our Lord, 2018. Going to do a Monday podcast because Sunday I'm going to Circus du Soleil. Wife's never gone to it, so I decided to take her out and see it. I got to see the uh, Beatles one. Can't remember the name. This one's a Latin, uh, Latin-themed one. I don't know the name of it either, but we got really good seats, really cheap. We're going to be on the... Uh, Lower level, not on the floor, and we'll see people fly over us and scare the shit out of my wife. It's going to be a good time, so uh, wish us luck on that. Um, so we'll do it on Monday. Please have an enjoyable rest of the week, a great weekend. Uh, stay cool. It's hot as hell again down here in the south. We had a couple of good days in the 70s. I kind of enjoyed it, but we're back into the heat zone. Enjoy your family. Disconnect from all your stupid devices. Don't give the yeah-yeahs. Actually give your undivided attention because someday they'll be gone and you'll regret it. As always, I thank you all for listening. Please share this podcast with as many people as you can so we can improve our listenership. Make sure you send me comments or suggestions. We like to branch out, do some other topics. So if you send a topic, once again, I will do it. Even if I don't disagree with it, I'll do it. Just use F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Send that email. You're on the show. I'll even give you a shout out. Once again, your name and where you live, not your last name, because you never know who's listening to this. So, until next time, my friends, thanks again for listening, and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.
Claire's he's not to blame And I understood 